The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I have a phenomenal guest for you guys today, and we had this amazing two and a half hour conversation, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But before that, I got to do that front of house stuff, and I'm going to try to do it as fast as possible, just because this interview is so good, and I want you guys to be able to hear it as soon as possible. So that being said, if you guys don't mind dropping a review for the show, rating the show, I definitely appreciate it. You guys can share it with a friend. That's something that can always help the show to grow. Uh, If you're not already following me on social media, come and do that to get some updates on the show. Uh, You can even hop on to the Telegram or the Discord, have some awesome conversations, stay updated on everything. Uh, If you're not checking out Bizarre Encounters, that's uh, the other show that I do. Um, The show is upgraded and changed a little bit since uh, since the little bit of a co-host change. So if you guys haven't checked it out, or if you have checked it out in the past, definitely go check it out again. It's got a totally different dynamic, and I think that you guys will definitely enjoy it. Uh, If you guys want some early access to the shows, um, that being said, with Inquiries of Our Reality and with Bizarre Encounters, uh, you guys can come and check out the Patreon. And I'm going to keep trying to build that up and do a bunch of different stuff with it. So uh, if there's anything that you guys want to see as far as the Patreon goes, definitely shoot me a message. Let me know. Uh, If you want to donate to the show in any way, shape, or form, uh, you can donate through Red Circle. You can donate through Venmo, Cash App, all that fun stuff. Uh, All available down down in the show description off the links for the link tree. Uh, you can go and get yourself some awesome Open Minds Media merch. And by Open Minds Media merch, I'm talking about Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, all the stuff I do. I always put everything all in the one store just to make it quick and easy so you guys ain't got to pop around looking at multiple stores in order to find the merchandise. Uh, I know I mention it again on every single show, but Joe kicking ass over there with Crypto Theology. If you haven't checked out any of his designs and you're into cryptid stuff, paranormal stuff... Uh, alien stuff, definitely do yourself a favor and go check out his designs. Um, everything that I've mentioned, all available under the link tree. Quick and easy. If you want to go and check that out, it's L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast. And uh, if anybody would like to come on the show as a guest, share their experiences, uh, share their research, any of that fun stuff, I want to start incorporating more of you guys into the show, bring you guys into the show, uh, do more stuff of what you guys want to hear. So uh, definitely don't be afraid. Come and hit me up. You can do that through the link tree or you can do it through, through social media. And with that, welcome to the show, Al Santarica. How's it going today, man? How you doing, Shane? How you doing? Thank you for inviting me, man. It's, it's an honor to be here. Absolute pleasure to get to sit down and have a conversation with you because, you know, I've been digging into uh, a little bit of your work and listening to you on a few other shows and you sounded like a person that I definitely need to have a conversation with. And I, I think that the listeners will love hearing all of your different experiences that you've had. Yeah, I've been around a long time. This is not my first rodeo, you know what I mean? So, um, absolutely. I, I'd love to discuss my uh, Bigfoot stuff tonight if that's the road you want to go down with. And, you know, if you ever want to have me back ever again, whether it's for UFOs or Dogman or ghost stuff, you know, we could, I'll be more than welcome, I'm more than happy to come back anytime you want. Well, I absolutely appreciate that. And I would love to have you on multiple times. But uh, for the sake of the listeners, for anybody that isn't familiar with your work, why don't you give them a brief idea about like who you are, what you do, and uh, what got you down the path that you're on? 
Okay. Um, Al Santariga, been doing this uh, for about 50 years. Uh, <laughs> I'm the founder of the Bronxville Paranormal Society. Um, that's the ghost hunting ver- part of the group. And I'm the, f- I'm the director of the New York State Sasquatch Organization, the director of the New York State Dogman Project, and the director of the New York State UFO Project. Um, my mom was a psychic. And she had all kinds of abilities. And my brother is a parapsychologist. And he worked with Han Holzer's right-hand man. And um, I was lucky enough to work with Han Holzer's daughter, Alexandra, over the years. And uh, a lot of other paranormal celebrities. And then uh, that's, you know, and I just, uh, I've had a lot of weird experiences or paranormal experiences over the years that I just thought was normal. I thought... Everybody was experiencing the same stuff I did until I actually started talking to my friends in the neighborhood. And they were like, no, dude, you're, you're, you're the only weird one in the neighborhood that has that <laughs> shit. And I was like, okay. But, um, you know, uh, my aunt was a white witch. I had an aunt who was a white witch. I had a, I had a cousin who was a black witch. And, uh, you know, so all of this stuff ran in my family. And uh, it was just natural to go down this, this down this road. <clears throat> like I said, my brother's a parapsychologist and he always had books in the house. So I would always read as soon as he finished reading the book, I was reading that book too, you know? So. Dude, it almost makes you wonder though, how far off everybody would be if you took away the, the stereotype of like what, somebody is that's into these types of things because you know you have you for example that's somebody that's raised around this stuff their entire life so you develop this understanding of it and then it brings you way farther into your research as an adult where you know you have a good other handful of researchers that didn't even want to talk about anything they were into and you know they'll run shows do research and they still aren't open with it about their family with their families and stuff but yeah if you take that filter off just imagine how much farther the research could get and even going into like further generations, if you get rid of that filter and you teach the kids young and you kind of give them an idea of all these different things, it's just, again, going to keep helping to expand the community, um, bring more knowledge to people in general. And again, you have people like you where you just have this full range spectrum of things. So you have a broader understanding rather than just looking at it from like a one single perspective of this is Sasquatch, this is the paranormal, this is this. You're already brought in with a full range of things so you can start making those connections in between that. Not a lot of people are able to do that. And it's a really cool thing that you had that ability to grow up in a house like that. Yeah. And, and, and when I started my, my own team, and we started going out investigating, and it didn't matter if we were doing C5s trying to get um, uh, UFOs to come in, or we were ghost hunting, or we were squatching. We incorporated everything, all of our equipment. We always go old school, new school, and we always incorporated all of our equipment into every single investigation. You know, I know there's a lot of new Bigfoot researchers out there that are just starting to go into the field with RF meters or EMF meters and stuff like that. And we've been doing that for years, years and years. It's from day one, you know, and because uh, to me, it was always all connected. And, you know, to me, you want to use as much equipment, old school, new school, to see what works. Because sometimes the, all this high tech shit, doesn't work for miles deep in the woods. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you need old school techniques to get, to, to, to get confirmation of what you're trying to, uh, you know, meet or, you know, have an encounter with. 
and and vice versa. Sometimes the old school stuff doesn't work and the new school stuff works fabulous, you know? So um, it all depends on what you're doing and where you're going. I know most of the ghost hunters that I associate with now all use new school techniques. No one uses any old school stuff anymore, which is sad because they all started that way. And it, and it, it was so successful, successful with the old stuff. You know what I mean? But the new stuff is just so much more convenient because it's smaller. It's electronic and stuff like that. But I go both. That's the way to do it, honestly. But, uh, Bringing it back around, too, because I want to definitely get into your Sasquatch stuff and make sure that we have enough time to be able to cover everything. Uh, where did it all start for you as far as um, the Sasquatch stuff in particular? Like, uh, you're obviously doing the paranormal stuff and you're kind of expanding into other things, but was the Sasquatch thing, did it start from an interest in it or did it start from like a like an encounter and then it branched from there? Like, what was your like start in into the Sasquatch research? Yeah, 1974, I was 12 years old. Uh, my cousin Anthony was 15. Our parents used to send us down to my sister's house in Florida. Every, every summer, it was our summer camp. My brother-in-law was an ex-Marine. He had a list of shit for us to do every day um, in the morning. And then the afternoons were ours to take the dirt bikes out into the trails and have fun and just, you know, go crazy as kids go crazy. You know what I mean? And um, well, so we're hanging out, my cousin Anthony and I. Um, it's late one night, two o'clock in the morning, and my sister had two canine German Shepherd big boys, 125-pound dogs, just, you know, just monsters. And we smelled something really, really bad come by the house. My sister lived in a, in a little town called Davies, Florida, and her home was in the outskirts of town. It was right up, it butt up, right up against the Everglades. We were surrounded by canals and the development only had a few houses in it, maybe a couple of dozen houses. It wasn't, it wasn't complete, completely um, built up. And we smelled this horrible smell. The dogs went nuts, grabbed the dogs, threw them in the garage. They didn't wake the whole house up. Next morning we're sitting around breakfast and we're telling my sister and my brother-in-law, you know, something came by the house, man. It smelled the high heaven. It was brutal. The dogs went crazy. And my brother once said, oh, it's probably the skunk ape. And my cousin, Anthony, and I just looked at each other, started laughing like skunk ape. What the hell is a skunk ape? You know, we're two guys from the city. We don't know anything about skunk apes. You know what I mean? Our biggest concern is walking through a dark alleyway at night, you know? <laughs> and um, this, The smell that you smelled, um, how exactly would you describe it? I didn't mean to like deter you from the story, but like, no, was it no. very skunky or was it like a musty smell? Or like, how, how would you describe it exactly? I would describe it as a thousand skunks all at once. It was that powerful of a smell. So very fitting to the name, skunk ape. Right? Yes, very fitting. I didn't know if it was more of like a musty smell or if it was an actual, like more of like a skunk smell where it actually gets the name from that or just being stinky like a skunk. No, it, it was the, the one that we smelled, smelled very skunkish. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was like the most powerful skunk smell in the world believe me it was unbelievable it's unbearable it made your eyes burn and we were in an air-conditioned house you know do you and, think that's uh, almost possible to be like a like a deterrent like do you think that it's just from them being in the woods or do you think that it's almost like a skunk in the aspect that they have a purposeful smell to keep things away from them i think it's a gland that they have that they secrete 
because the dogs were going crazy. You know what I mean? And, and like I said, it may have taken the dogs as a threat. So it could have secreted this skunky smell to keep the dogs at bay. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't think it, it, they're afraid of the dogs. I think they could just take the dogs and snap their necks. But I think by letting that secretion out, is enough to keep the dogs back because the dogs aren't going to go near a skunk. You know what I mean? Mm. Before before I deter you too much uh, off your story, because I definitely want to get back to it. Um, no, ask ask away. Go ahead. <laughs> Sasquatches themselves, not specifically like skunk apes, because of course that's like a like a side variation of Sasquatch. Have you, from your experience, seen that like Sasquatches may have this same type of ability, but maybe like a different smell or like a different pheromone? I think they all have this ability, and I, I think they all. They could, they all, they all produce it, but at different levels. I've smelt it to the, where it was really, really putrid kind of smell, not skunky at all. I smelt it where it was very musky, heavy kind of smell that just lingered in the area. You know, I've smelt a, a, a two or three different kinds. You know, um, I wouldn't call them skunkish. The ones I smelt up here in, in the Northeast compared to the one I smelt as a kid down in Florida. Do you think that it's more of like a, like a deterrent in the aspect of skunk apes being smaller so that they have to rely more on like smells or things like that to kind of keep people away where like the ones farther north are typically like bigger creatures so they don't have to rely on a smell because they can kind of scare people away with like their size? No, I, the, the one I seen down in Florida was not small by any stretch of the imagination. It was nine feet tall, and I would say close to a thousand pounds. But I just think it's something that they put out when they feel threatened, mm-hmm. and it's just a deterrent. Whether they come, whether people stumble across them in the woods, you know what I mean, and uh, they're hiding, they'll still they'll they'll let that secretion out. To the people go, oh man, it smells like rotten eggs and leave. You know what I mean? Um, I almost wonder too if it's more known with like skunk apes in the Everglades, again, because of also the other predators that could be there. Because, you know, you're up in the northern woods, you're dealing with bears, things like that, versus, you know, when you're down in the Everglades, you're dealing with like crocodile or not crocodiles, but alligators, uh, different types of predators. So, assumably, you know, there's more apex predators. So they probably need something that's like an extra barrier to kind of help keep these different predators away where there's less of an issue with that in like Northern woods, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, everything in Florida can kill you, you know, I mean, they have (laughs) all kinds of snakes and alligators and crocodiles. And when I was down there, they didn't have hogs, but they have them now wild hogs that are just as dangerous as anything else that's in the woods. And, um, I just think it's something they that they they put out when they feel threatened or scared or just um, if you if you stumble across them and you surprise them they may put it out you know and and uh, uh, just it comes out naturally because they're surprised that you're there you know mm-hmm. but like I said I've 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 smelled two or three different kinds and but nothing smelled like the stuff down in the skunk apes of Florida absolutely not so I wonder if it's like uh, just Assumably, there obviously there's different variations of different Sasquatch beings, and they've all kind of adapted a little bit differently. So I wonder if just having that extra skunky smell, or just like a slight little different variation of smell, is something that's specific to like that region of something they've adapted to, you know, live in that area better. Kind of like I was describing with the predators thing. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you know you're right on the ball with that. I think they all I think they all can do it. 
but they all do it at different levels and different and different smells. You know what I mean? And uh, I think the ones in Florida just happened to put off the worst smell of all of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, again, and that just may have to do with the environment that they're living in, the humidity, the rain, the swamp, the mud, and just, you know, all of that stuff has got to contribute to their development, you know, and <clears throat> excuse me, how they, how they survive. Um, I didn't mean to deter you, deter you too much from your main story, but you're at the point where you're saying that, uh, you know, smelt the smell and you're talking back at the house and they said that they, that it may have been a skunk ape. Yeah. So, so we're sitting around the kitchen table and they're telling us this and we thought they were pulling our legs, you know, and we didn't think there's no way this is actually, cause we, you know, we go to Florida every single year that, for like the, for a good, I would say from 10, 11, 12, 13, for three, four years, we were, we've been going to Florida and we never came across this, but that particular year, it was, there was a drought in South Florida. It was very, very hot. The Everglades were on fire. So a lot of the creatures were being pushed in. You know what I mean? Um, so we went and we talked to uh, our friends in the neighborhood and they all told us, hello, oh, yeah, yeah, when it gets hot like this, they come around all the time. You know, like these kids were talking about it like it was no big deal. You know what I mean? And we, th we thought my brother-in-law and my sister were pulling our leg, you know. And they'll say, and they're like, yeah, you watch and see as the summer goes along, you're going to start seeing like reports on TV and stuff. And sure as shit, we started seeing reports in the newspaper, on the news, on TV, on the radio, in the car, driving around, you hear reports. So their reports were coming in all over the place, but not until after we had our very first experience. Before that, we hadn't heard anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So at that point, the flyers in the Everglades were pushing everything in. So at that point, more and more people were having encounters with them, you know? So that happens. And then we're hanging out one night. Um, we're, again, we, we, you know, we're young guys. We, we, we go in the woods at night and we have bonfires and we drink our beers and everything else. You know, we party and, um, we come back, we both had dirt bikes. And uh, again, it's two o'clock in the morning. And my sister had a, a sunroom that faced the front of the house. She had an open front of the house with a circular driveway with a fountain. And then the house was fenced in on three sides. And the fence was six feet tall because of the dogs. And um, there were sensor lights around the whole property. And we're sleeping in the, in the sunroom on this queen size bed along this giant picture window that had to be like, I would say six feet, six feet long, four feet high. And we're sitting there and we just got into bed and all of a sudden the sensor lights go on in the driveway. And we see, we see this sh giant shadow go across the front of the wall in front of us. And as the shadow goes across the front of the wall, now we don't smell anything at this point. We see this giant shadow across the wall. The dogs jump up and start going ballistic. They're trying to get through the front door. I get up, I drag the dogs, put them in the garage because my brother-in-law gets up where everybody's getting their ass kicked. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we don't want, we don't want to wake my brother-in-law up, you know, and uh, get the dogs in the garage. And I do like an army crawl towards this big picture window and I peek out the bottom of the window to see what's out there. And 
there's this nine foot, and, I, and I, I'll tell you how I, I assume the, yeah, the height of it. This nine foot creature that looks like King Kong, okay? And I thought it seen me in the, in the window looking out, you know? But hindsight being 2020, it must have seen its reflection in the glass. And it does like this incredible Hulk scream and it flexes and I can see it's canines and it's got red eyes, but I don't know if the eyes are red because of the sensor lights that are on it or if they're just red naturally. Conical head. It's dark, like it looks black, but it has red tint in its hair. You can see the red tint in it. Mm. And I freak out. My cousin freaks out. And it starts to walk along uh, the side of the house. That particular side of the house was an empty lot. There hadn't been any homes built in it yet. And uh, it had wild watermelons. So I grabbed my cousin, Anthony, and said, come on, let's run into the kid's bathroom on that side of the house. We'll leave the lights off and we'll check this thing out as it goes by. And as it walks by, now this is how I uh, figured out the height. The fence was six feet tall. This thing was head and shoulders above the fence. So I'm assuming it was nine feet tall, okay? And as it's walking by, it's looking at my cousin and I in the, in the, in the bathroom with the lights off, with a tinted glass and a tinted screen. And I don't, can't figure out how this thing is seeing us because everything is pitch black, you know? Mm-hmm. And it stops. It picks up a wild watermelon, takes a giant bite out of it, drops the nubs, and it starts walking towards the back of the house. We run out of the bathroom. We run out to the backyard. My sister had a screened-in patio. Again, we're sitting in the patio with the lights off. It walks past the back of the house. The sensor lights go on. We're watching it. It's looking back like it's watching us. Gets to the end of the fence line. And the neighbor behind us had a man-made lake. Squatted down. Cupped the water in one hand. Was drinking the water out of the man-made lake. The whole time watching us as we were watching it. Then it got up and it just walked very casually into the woods where we rode our dirt bikes and we had our bonfires. And then it just went off. It started screaming. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was terrifying. It was screaming like it was in pain and I was like just freaking out. There was a horse rancher down the street. His horses were going crazy. There was a cattle ranch on the other side of us. Cows were going crazy. Everything was going crazy. And then it went away. And then, then you know, a couple of days later, um, we're hanging out. And my brother-in-law comes home. Every, like, Friday or Saturday night when he came home from work, he would bring a couple of pizzas. He owned an Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would bring a couple of pizzas. And we would sit in the patio. And he'd say, what happened today? You know, did you get all the, did you get everything done on the list? Cause he had this list for us every day. Did you get everything done on the list? Number one and number two, anything happened in the neighborhood? You know, we're sitting out there. My sister's out there. Kids are in bed. And all of a sudden we hear boom, 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 like a 30, 30 going off. So we run to the front of the house and we could see the muzzle flashes coming from the horse rancher's farm. Now the horse rancher, had a son that we were good friends with and we would work at the ranch shoveling shit to make a few extra dollars to buy beer and stuff. You know what I mean? And we would take tours out in the, in the, in the swamp. If he didn't have anybody to take a tour out for him, 
we would take, because he needed two people to do the tour, one in the front and one in the back. We really didn't have to do anything because the horses knew where they were going. You know what I mean? And they'd, they'd run through the, they would run through the swamp and then they'd go back to the ranch. So we would work there. So we knew him. So my brother-in-law says, jump on your dirt bikes, go over, see what happened. So we jump on our dirt bikes. We get over there. We get over. We see our friend. The whole neighborhood is lit up now. Everybody's out of their house. Everybody's hanging out around the horse ranch's uh, farm. And we're talking to our friends, and we're like, what's going on? And he says, the skunk ape creeped up on my father's new horse. His father had just brought in a Mustang or a stallion or something from Wyoming, and he couldn't put it in the stalls because it would kick, and it made all the other horses nervous. So he'd leave it in the corral at night. And every day he had a Seminole Indian coming over to work the horse to break it so eventually you could use it for the tours, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, this nine-foot skunk ape crept up on this horse and grabbed it from its hind quarters. And at that point, the horse must have kicked out, jumped the corral, ran into the pasture to get away. By then, the rancher heard all the commotion. He went outside and shooting out. This is, you got to understand, 1974, South Florida was all cowboys. It was a dirt, there were no sidewalk, dirt streets. The biggest thing that happened in Davie was the rodeo on the 4th of July. It was a cowboy town. Okay. So everybody, everybody's pickup had three guns on the windows. You know what I mean? <laughs> everybody, all the kids had three guns on the windows, shotgun, 30, 30, and a 30 odd six, all of them. And um, Chuck's so thumb preloaded with a gun rack. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody in the neighborhood had one. So this guy comes out shooting. So our friend is telling us what's going on. So it's a, it's a sheriff rolls in and the sheriff says, okay, you know, we'll pick up the patrol out here because you guys are really on the outskirts. You're in the boondocks, you know, and we'll, and like I said, this was a, a giant square. It was like a two mile square with canals on all sides of us. You had to go over bridges to get to the development, you know, mm-hmm. One one car bridge, so only one car can go across at a time, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so the next day we go back, you know, we talk to our friend, and and uh, the Native American Seminole Indian is there, and he's bringing the horse in from the pasture. And when he gets him into the corral, the horse had fingerprints on its hind quarters, not like claw marks. But if I was to grab you by your wrist and squeeze as hard as I could and leave finger fingerprints on your on your arm, mm-hmm. that's what it had on its hind quarter. And according to the Native American, these skunk apes will do that to horses and cows to have sex with them. Okay, uh, that's what I was about to ask. Actually, was what was the reasoning behind grabbing it? Was it trying to kill it and eat it, or did it have some other kind of intention? No, according to the Native American. This is what they do. This is they have, and they also braid the horse's hair while they're having sex with him. It's, <laughs> you know, and I swear to God, I, this is this is what this guy is telling us. You know, Native America is telling us, and uh, so we're like, wow, this is crazy. You know what I mean? And like I said, this this horse was a wild Mustang off the plains of Montana. This horse was was mean. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a, a little pony that you could go and pet. He would this horse would stomp you if you got close to it. You know. And uh, apparently, so, it was able to tear off a Sasquatch somehow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like pretty, I said, pretty it, damn strong horse. <laughs> well, that's what the Native Americans said. The Native Americans said it must have kicked out. And it must have hit the. It must have hit it hard enough 
for it to let go for this horse to jump the corral and head out to the pasture. Once it got out to the pasture, the, the, the skunk ape wasn't going to catch it, you know? A uh, quick side uh, question, too. Did you get ahead. an idea of uh, how big these handprints were on the side? Just kind of give people an idea. They were they were huge. They were huge. They looked like a baseball mitt, like a, a softball mitt. You know, softball mitts are bigger than baseball mm-hmm. mitts. That's what it looked like on either side of the creature, uh, the horses. But, you know, it's, it's hindquarters, yeah. It's probably like 14 to 16 inch, roughly, like, you know. Yeah, you know what? I don't remember. I don't remember anybody measuring them. You know, I don't remember. I can be honest with you. I'm not going to sit here and bullshit you and tell you I did. Um, I don't remember anybody, not not the rancher, the Native American, or the or the sheriff measuring them. You know what I mean? I just remember everybody being in awe that it wasn't claw marks, that it was fingerprints, you know? See, yeah. man, at that point, too, it's like you already kind of got it, like – it seems to be kind of embedded into like the folklore um, from like the Native American side and from like the local side. So at that point, it almost kind of shows how embedded it is that they're not questioning, like measuring the handprint. They already know what it is, and they're accepting the fact of what it is. Oh yeah, the the the, the kid's father knew what it was. He came after he, he he put lead down down range. You know what I mean? I don't know if he hit her or not, but. That 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 dirty dirty was going off like the rifleman, boom 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 boom. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so um, so that happened. So then we came back and we're hanging out. A couple of days go by. It's pretty quiet, and um, the sheriff and the deputies are doing patrols through the neighborhood. And um, one night, my sister and her husband had friends come down from New York. And they were taking them down to Miami for dinner and dancing. And my cousin Anthony and I were babysitting the kids. And my brother-in-law said, you know, this is where all the guns are. If the creature comes back, you know, let out the dogs and, you know, here's the guns. Do what you got to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He wasn't playing games with it. You know what I mean? And uh, I said, okay, we know, we, we know where the guns are. We got these two giant German shepherds. We're pretty, we feel pretty secure, you know, and uh, the house, the house is fenced in. And then the night goes on. It's pretty quiet night. Nothing happening. My brother-in-law rolls in around two o'clock in the morning. Um, the dogs go crazy. Of course, we open up the front door, they run out and, my my sister gets out of the car and she's she's sitting there. We're all talking and my brother was like, "Any any action tonight?" And I'm like, "No, pretty quiet night." No sooner did I say that, we hear a blood curdling scream that just goes right down your spine. It's something I've never heard before in my life, and I never want to hear it again. It was just horrific, and my sister freaked out and she grabbed the dogs and she ran in the house. And my brother-in-law said, get in the car. Let's see what's going on. Because right after we heard that scream, about a minute later, you seen two blasts from a double-barrel shotgun come out from the cattle rancher's house. Boom, boom, you know. And uh, so my cousin jumps in. We both jump in the car. My cousin grabs shotgun. I'm in the backseat. I tell my brother-in-law, open up the moonroof. I want to hang out. I want to get a good view of what's going on, right? So we race down the street. We get to the we get to the end of the block, and just as we get there, 
deputy is passing us and he's like crawling, you know, and we're stuck behind the deputy crawling. And you can see headlights on uh, two miles away on the other side of development. And, you know, that's the sheriff down at that end, you know, and uh, they try so to do like a sweep through coming from. Two yeah, different sides. Sweep, yeah, two different sides. Right. And um, and our house was like right in the middle. So when it came over the bridge, one went straight, one went left and then it came around. Um, so we're behind the deputy and the deputy's got his spotlight facing the left, the swamp, the swamp was on our left and where everybody's looking to the left with the, with the, uh, the, the light is shining and the creature comes running out of the shadows and the deputy hits it with his police car. Creature goes down, takes down a sign that was supposed to be, well, hurricane proof up to 150 mile an hour winds. He flattened it like a pancake, right? How hard did he hit him with the car? I'm, I'm, he assuming, was go- he I'm was, assuming there was some pretty good damage to the car too, correct? He was going slow. Honest to God, he couldn't have been going more than 15 miles an hour, but the car looked like it hit a, t- hit a tree. <laughs> okay. And the creature went down and the creature got back up. And when the creature got back up, my brother-in-law hit him with the high beam so we could get a good look, you know? And I'm sing, I'm hanging out the moonroof looking at this thing. I'm a car length away. And it limps over to the police car and it's pissed. And it walks over to the police car. And you can see the deputy from the headlights, you know, from going through the car. You can see the deputy hanging out to the steering wheel. And back then. His heart was the, probably in his throat at that point. <laughs> yeah. And back then, the deputies had their shotguns right in between them. You know what I mean? They didn't keep them in a the trunk like they do now. Back then, they had them in the front seat with them. And he's holding on to the, to the steering wheel of the car. <clears throat> and this thing walks up to the car. And what it's what it's fist. It does a hammer punch on the hood of the car. Boom. And it screams, this bloody, curdling scream that just vibrates every fiber of your body. Every You can feel like the water in your body vibrating, okay? And the back of the car comes off the ground. It goes back down, and it limps off into the swamp. At this point, the sheriff is coming, getting closer to us, and he says, what the hell happened? And the deputy's telling him what happened. He says, well, why didn't you shoot it with the damn shotgun, you know? And he says, oh, the shotgun wasn't big enough. It just wasn't big enough, you know? I'm just going to piss it off and have it come right through that windshield at you. <laughs> and he's he's taking, he's taking the deputy's report. When he's finished with them, he comes over to us and he's taking our report because we basically do the same thing. The deputy's seen, you know what I mean? But I guess they got to do it for insurance purposes. And as he's taking the reports... Uh, the cattle rancher comes flying up to us in his pickup truck and he says, Sheriff, you got to come back to my ranch. You got to see what this damn creature did to my prize bull. Now, this guy had a white Brahma bull with a hump in its neck. This bull was as big as a minivan. It must have weighed 2,500 pounds. If it weighed an ounce, it was huge. Okay. Just huge. And I know because I've seen this bull up close and personal because I used to jog that development every day to stay in shape. I was into my martial arts. My cousin did his weights and, you know, I was jogging one day and the lady was coming home with her groceries and she opened up the gate. She had like one of those things in her car where you hit the button and the gate opens Mm -hmm. and she had a St. Bernard that looked like Cujo and this dog came chasing me. And this dog was coming up on me and he was gaining on me. And the only fence I could jump over 
was the pasture where the cows were because the fence was small. It was only four feet high, you know? And I go diving over this fence and do like a flip and roll over the fence. And the dog was just too top heavy to get over the fence. He jumped up on the fence barking. At this point, the bull comes over, right? Because he wants to know what's going on in his pasture. <laughs> and he's looking at the dog and he's, and this bull could go through this fence if he wanted to, if he just backed up and rubbed his ass against it, this fence would have came down. Right. And he's looking at me and I see this thing and I'm like, I got Cujo on one side and this monster over here. And I'm using the cows in the pasture as protection. I'm hiding behind the cows working my way out to the front gate. Now this particular rancher did not like me and my cousin, because when we used to come around the turns on our dirt bikes, we would go so fast that because it was all gravel, the bikes would, the back of the bikes would kind of skip, you know, mm. and we would go over his lawn every single day and tear up his lawn. And every single week, my brother-in-law had to buy a new sod for him. You know what I mean? Because we would just go too goddamn fast on the motorcycles to take the turn normally. So we had to go up on his grass. So this guy didn't like us to begin with. So I'm working my way out to, behind all the cows and the lady calls the dog back. The dog goes home. I go out the front gate. I get outside. So I see this cow, this bull up close and personal. I had never seen a bull that looked like that in my life. I've seen the, the black ones, the fighting bulls that they use in Spain and Mexico. But I've never seen something with a hump in its back that was that big. And those Brahma bulls are, are mean, too. You know what I mean? They have a mean disposition. So I get out. So this guy comes over and he says, you got to see what this creature did to my prize bull. And I'm thinking, what the hell could this creature have done to this bull? This bull was the size of a minivan. You know what I mean? They could have taken this- out a Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm like, it's impossible. There's no way. we get So we go around the deputy's car. The deputy stays there. The sheriff's following the, the, the cattle rancher back to his ranch. We're following the sheriff. And the sheriff has got his spotlight into the pasture. And there in the middle of the pasture is this white Brahma bull bleeding out with no head. Just ripped the head right off this creature. Ooh. Ripped the head right off the bull. And then like 100 yards on the other side of the pasture is the Brahma bull's head. And I'm just thinking, no, this is impossible. This is, there's no way. This, this gunk ape could do this to this bull. This bull is just too big. You know, I'm thinking this bull is 2,500 pounds. Skunk ape is a thousand pounds at best. How, you know, and, but I mean, it did. And it was just like insane. And the cattle rancher was losing his mind because apparently he paid a ton of money for this bull. And now, you know, he's just lost $10,000. So he was, so the de- sheriff said, okay, we'll, we'll get a posse together. He called out the town police, the state, the county police, the state police. They showed up with horses and dogs and helicopters, and they searched that swamp high and low, and they never found anything. And we thought, because we were seeing all the news reports of the skunk apes, that there was going to be all kinds of news reporters come to interview us because we were the only witnesses because we were there, you know, behind the deputy. And we raced to the we raced to the Wind Dixie that next morning to see if it was in the paper, and there was nothing about anything in the paper. 
No one ever came to our house to interview us. And it was like it never happened. And we just couldn't understand it because all summer long, we've heard multiple reports on multiple different uh, venues, whether it's TV, radio, or newspaper, about these creatures. Now, I was lucky enough when I put this report into the Skunk Gate Museum website, there was a woman down in Florida. Her name was Ray Monet or something like that. She was um, a director of the, uh, the BFRO down in Florida. And she read the report and she called me up and she said, can I take this report and put it on the BFRO? And I was like, sure, absolutely, you know. And she said, I remember that summer. She lived in the next town over and her father had a mechanic shop in Davie and her uncle was a cop on the town to the south of us. Um, Cooper city is where her uncle worked. I forgot what the name of her town was, forgot the name. but she was 12 years old. She was the same age as I was. And she said she was following all those reports that summer as well. And she would hear stories from her father who talked to locals in the town and she would hear reports from her uncle who would come over and talk to her father. And her uncle had two books, the official book that they would give, they would, they would, they would give to the newspaper and the unofficial book that when they would, they would get a lot of calls for peeping Toms. Okay. Oh, they would get a phone call as a seven foot black man looking in my window. Okay. Sheriff would go there. They'd come around from both sides put their flashlights on and it would be a skunk ape. As soon as the flashlight hit it, the skunk ape would run and dive into the canal and swim away. So, so they would put it in as a peeping Tom in the official book, but in the unofficial book, they would actually put in what it actually was. And when her uncle retired, he gave her his book and she's going to put together, a, she's going to write a book on all of his reports and everything, you know? But she did such an amazing job on the BFRO website. If you look up South Florida's uh, Class A sightings, she's got aerial photographs of Sunshine Acres, the development we lived in. Mm -hmm. She's got it marked off where the cattle rancher's house was, where the horse rancher's cat uh, ranch was, all kinds of stuff. She, she put in, at the end of my report, she put in about 20 articles that she got out of the newspaper from that time of all the skunk ape reports at that time. So she did an amazing job. She made my, my report like a million times better than it ever was, you know? <laughs> do you, uh, do you have any word on what that book may be called or when it might be coming out for any of the listeners that might be interested? You know, the last time I talked to Ree, I was getting her an interview on somebody's podcast and, um, I the subject of the book never came up. I never got around to ask her if she ever, you know, put that put those reports to pen and made a book out of it or not. But I mean, I'm, I'm I can I can reach out to her at any time and just ask her if she ever did. I say that would be uh, absolutely fascinating because uh, I would love to dig into that because I often wonder if there is almost like that in almost any city that whoever kind of catches on to the experiences they have these documented ones that aren't documented on the books. And then my other question connecting into that is depending on like how high end of encounters happen in a specific area, if there is like a government organization that those reports do get reported to. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure 
there's an official chain of command where they go to, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know any, anything in particular. I believe, I believe the state has a hotline to, um, uh, there's a hotline that they have that they use, um, to notify government agencies of, um, nuisance creatures. You know what I mean? If something is becoming a nuisance, there's a hotline they call and they report it and then they'll send in a kill team or something to get rid of that creature, you know? From uh from your knowledge, do they um like when they're training police officers, especially in like specific areas where these encounters are frequently happening, do they almost like uh like hint at it in the training that it may be a possibility that they might experience things like this and they have like a certain type of like like way they're supposed to act or go about reporting these types of sightings? Not that I'm aware of. There may be some kind of um you know, um, standard operating procedure when something like that does happen, but I'm not aware of it. But I do know because I have two family members that work for the National Parks Association, uh, the, the Forestry Department, mm-hmm. um, one in New Mexico, one in California, that there is a handbook given to these park rangers on what to do if uh, Bigfoot does come into a camping area where campers are or something like that. Like there's a couple of um, what I was told was if camp, if a Bigfoot comes into a camping area where there are campers, what they'll do is they'll remove the campers from that area, put them in a different location. And then they'll, they'll just, they're not that they close that campsite off. They just won't let anybody else use it but if a dog man where people were to come across a dog man in a certain area then they take those campers and they put them again they, they take them out of harm's way they put them in a safe location but what they do with the dog man is they close off that whole side of the mountain just assumably they cover more ground and then going into like the pack mentality they just they take they, into consideration there's probably they, way from there they guess they must feel that the dogmen are more dangerous than the Bigfoots. And if they close off that whole side of the mountain, they don't have to worry about anybody running into any of these creatures hiking. If these creatures are out hunting where the Bigfoots you know, may come into a campsite at night for food, if they smell food or whatever. But if you were to come out of your tent, most likely they would run off because they really don't want anything to do with people. You know, they always go in the other direction. So I guess they feel that the Bigfoots aren't as dangerous as the dogmen. Assumably, too, when they're trying to like move these campers, if there is a sighting, besides the person that, of course, had the sighting themselves, they probably try to play it off like it's something else, right? Like, uh, I don't know, like the bear. It's always a bear. bear. Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah. Or if if, if a ranger sees one in an area where there isn't anybody and they close off that section of the mountain, they, they always they have a whole list of excuses they can say. That you know they're it's a, they're getting ready to do a, a controlled burn or something like that you know what I mean and they don't want anybody in that area they they got a whole list of excuses but when it comes to talking about the dogmen my family members really don't talk much about it. they really don't want to discuss it it's like taboo you know Bigfoot still talk to you about it all day long but not dogmen.
<laughs> say keep it safe and we'll definitely have to dig into Dogman on a future episode but uh <laughs> um so you had this uh the skunk ape experience and assumably this was like your first brush in with a uh, sasquatch type creature um, oh without a doubt so what uh what what ins- i'm assuming this is what inspired you to eventually start your like your research team but uh were there more experiences that happened uh in between before you actually started developing like a team and actively going out and researching these type of things no, not, not Bigfoot wise. No. I mean, if, if, you know what, I mean, I had a lot of UFO stuff going on and I had a lot of uh, ghost stuff going on. Not too much because, you know, first of all, when I came back from Florida, I was, I was so screwed up from that experience that I couldn't even sleep in my room for like three years. You know what I mean? Cause my bedroom was used to be a front porch. My father was a carpenter. He closed it off. So it was a small room. It was like the size of a prison cell. You know, it was five by 10. And it had a big picture window in it because it was the front of the house. And I always thought that these creatures were going to come into my house because I seen them reach through that bedroom window and pull me out and take me. So for three years, I was like scared to death. I couldn't sleep at night, you know? And, uh, so it just freaked me out for a long time. It really did. But then during that time, I was, even though we were still hanging out in the woods and doing what we did, you know, the kids, you know, BB gun fights and stuff like that. You know, um, we, we never, Bigfoot was the furthest thing from my mind. We were more into ghosts and cemeteries and UFOs and stuff like that. Because everybody thought that Bigfoots were in the Pacific Northwest. And I really couldn't tell anybody about it when I got home because my cousin, I said to my cousin, Anthony, we get on a plane. I said, man, I can't wait to get home to tell my brother he's going to lose his mind, you know? And my, bro- my cousin's like, no, you can't tell. You can't tell my brother. You can't tell Frank. And I'm like, why not? He says, because Frank's going to tell everybody else in the family. And my brother caught a lot of shit from my family for being a paranormal researcher. You know what I mean? Um, the way we show our love in our families by breaking your balls and the more we break your balls, the more we love you. And my brother was loved a lot, you know? So <laughs> my cousin said, if you tell Frank, it's going to get back to my mother and father. And then I'm going to, they're going to think we're crazy. They're going to break our balls. Like they break your brother's balls. And then I'm going to kick your ass. And my, my cousin, Anthony, although my cousin, Anthony was like a brother to me, we fought all the time like cats and dogs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, he was a big dude. I mean, he, he you know, even though he was 15, he was huge, he worked out all the time, and, you know, I really didn't want to fight with him, you know what I mean? So I didn't tell I didn't tell my brother any of this for like 30 years until he wrote his book. And then when I when he wrote his book and I told him about this, he was like, well, I got to call my sister immediate down in Florida and said, did this really happen? And she's like, yeah, you know, unfortunately, my cousin Anthony and my brother-in-law Joe had passed away, you know? Um, so he couldn't, he couldn't confirm it with them, but he confirmed it with my sister and she was like, yeah, you know, absolutely. And then I told him about this woman, Re, and, and the article she put up, you know, and, uh, and he, and he looked into that and he's like, okay, you know, because my brother's got to confirm everything like a hundred times over before he'll put anything in a book. You know what I mean? It's got to validate everything. So he goes above and beyond when it comes to that stuff, you know? Um, and I told him, I said, yeah, I said, he goes, well, why didn't you tell me about it? So I didn't tell you about it for 30 years. Cause I had to deal with Anthony. You know what I mean? I don't want to have to fight him every single day, you know? So, but, um, yeah, so, so I really didn't talk about it. So back, you know, growing up, 
as a kid, more ghost stuff and UFO stuff than Bigfoot stuff. Not till I moved out of, I put my team together, which was a paranormal team originally, but we did everything. And I moved upstate, you know, and I got out of the city. I'm like, you know, 75 miles north of the city and everything. And uh, I'm up in the country now. And I'll be honest with you, um, we, I used to take, my son and I used to take our dog, I had a 125-pound German Shepherd. We used to take our dog walking all the time through the woods, you know? Mm -hmm. And we used to go to the Appalachian Trail and hike the Appalachian Trail. And the thought of Bigfoot being in New York never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. I knew the skunk ape was in Florida, and I knew Bigfoot was in the Pacific Northwest, but I never crossed my mind. And then one day, my neighbor, the local guy born and raised here, was talking to a couple of his friends, and they were talking about coon hunting on the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, "Well, what's going on here?" You know. So I, st- I just started. I stopped it, and I was eavesdropping, listening to their story. And he was saying, "Yeah, you know, we went up the Appalachian Trail, and you know, we had the dogs, and they had these big red bone hounds. These dogs are big, and um, they're hunting the Appalachian Trail, and they're coon hunting with you know twenty two rifles, so the guns are small." And uh, they come across this trail and they come across this area where, where these high school kids usually um, have parties by this lake. It's like a campsite, but it's not an official campsite. You can't be at the lake at night, but the high school kids did anyway, you know, mm. and they start getting rocks thrown at them, you know, and the dogs are barking and they're getting rocks thrown at them. So they say, hey, you better stop thinking it's high school kids saying, hey, listen, you better knock it off because we're going to send the dogs after you, you know? And the rocks kept coming. So they sick the dogs on them. They said, go get them, you know? And the dogs went charging like they were going to get it. It's 10 feet. They went about 10 feet, tucked their tails between their legs, turned around, ran right past both of the hunters a mile back to the, to the parking lot where their trucks were and hid underneath the trucks. At this point, these two guys are like, what the hell scared these dogs, you know? These dogs aren't afraid of anything. They're hunting dogs. And uh, so they tell, again, they say, if you keep throwing rocks, I'm going to take a shot at you. Now the rock comes their way. And every time the rocks are coming out, they're getting bigger and bigger. So one of the guys gets his gun and he puts a round into the tree where he thinks the kid is standing. Seven-foot Sasquatch steps out behind the tree and just screams at him. He said, they both just dropped their guns right there and turned and ran back to the truck. When they got to the truck, the dogs were underneath hiding, shaking, pissing themselves, you know? They jumped in the truck, and they were telling my neighbor this, and I'm like, dude, I go hiking there all the time with my dog, you know? I never knew any of this, you know? And I couldn't believe what they were saying, and I knew they were telling the truth because they were telling one of their best friends they grew up with, you know? they These guys up here, everybody hunts up here, you know what I mean? It's not like down in the city where Nobody's got a gun. Everybody on my block has got a gun, you know. Mm. There's, there's not a house on this, on this development that doesn't have firearms in it, you know. And um, so I'm listening to this. And I put, a, I put a team together, and I called it the Bronxville Paranormal Society because I worked in this little rich town called Bronxville, New York. And I worked at the post office there. And a bunch of guys at the post office were all into the paranormal. So we'd go out every weekend, you know, every Sunday, 
and go, you know, investigating locations. So I said, guys, we got to come up. You guys got to come up to my house. We got to go to this location. It's crazy. I heard this story. So everybody's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go. You know? So one Sunday they came up. Um, and it's funny the way, the, the way we got the name, the Bronxville Paranormal Society is we were doing an investigation at an ancient stone chamber. We have these ancient stone chambers here on the East coast. Right. And, uh, we, we, we had all of our equipment out and some a group of people walked by and said, oh, wow, are you guys ghost hunters, you know? And I, and I said, yeah, the, we're the Bronxville Paranormal Society. Just came out off the top of my head because everybody who was there worked in Bronxville. And so that's how the name came about. So the name just stuck, you know? So anyway, we, everybody comes up one weekend and we go to the Appalachian Trail. And as we're hiking in, um, it, was, it was a dry summer. So as we're hiking in, we find uh, uh, like a 175-pound buck up in a tree, like in a fork of a tree. But this buck was up about 60 feet, and this tree was shaped like a fireman's pole. You know what I mean? Like, And we're all trying to figure out what could possibly have brought it up there. There's no way a mountain lion's carrying that thing up that high. You know, bears don't. Uh, put their kills up in trees anyway so we all took pictures of it and everybody's like freaking out and uh we start walking in and we're getting in now we're about two miles in and we come across this structure that looks like a teepee but the but the logs were about six to eight inches in diameter and they were woven in between each one it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything. And everybody's like, is it a hunting blind? I was like, dude, look at the logs. Who's got the strength to maneuver logs in between other logs? I mean, it, this thing was amazing. I was trying to get a couple of my friends to go in it because I wanted to get pictures of them in it, but nobody would go in it. So I said, I'll go in, get pictures of me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went in. I took, I took pictures of the inside because I wanted to know and and and, I, and it smelled very musky in there, you know. Was it kind of and like the smell. skunk ape smell? Was it kind of like familiar to that smell? No, no. It was it was it was it was a very musky kind of thick uh, kind of smell, like a body odor kind of smell. It smelled more like bo. Gotcha. Like a like then, a sweat, musty, like living yes. in the woods, wet hair kind of smell. Yes, like someone who worked construction. And didn't take a shower for a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we found that, which really blew our minds. Because, you know, we, no, we can't imagine anybody weaving giant logs in between each other. I mean, they were so well put together. It looked like a like a basket, like the Native Americans weave, you know? Like a giant version and, of it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this thing was seven feet tall. It had to be five Six, six feet long because I could lay across the whole thing and I don't know I mean it was I don't know if it was using it as a, a shelter from the for the weather if it was using it as a hunting blind I don't know but it was it was put together so well it looked like a professional architect built this thing that's how well it was put together so then we hiked some more. We're getting deeper and deeper in the woods. And now we're about three, four miles in. And I start coming across these little stone figurines. 
and they're up on like cliffs and ridges and you got to be a billy goat to get up there number one and then who the hell is going to climb up there put all these rocks and put them up together i mean it freaked me out i thought it was like the blair witch kind of thing it just freaked me out you know you said they were uh like figures like what what exactly were they figures of uh, it was stone they're called stone karens and it's just stones on top of each other like from big to small oh like the stacks yeah, like gotcha. the stacks, yeah. But there was but there was it was weird. It kind of looked it kind of had that um Blair Witch feel to it, you know what I mean? Cuz they were in locations that you or me couldn't climb up there. You know, and number one, we couldn't get up there. Number two, we would have to have a sack on our back with rocks and then put them on the edge of these on the edge of these cliffs. And I'm looking at these things and I'm thinking Man, these things are on the edge. What happens when it rains and the rain is coming off these rocks? These things should come down, right? Mm-hmm. But they never, they never move. They stay there. Till this day, they're still there. They don't come down in the rain and the snow and anything. You would think they would at some point would slide off those edges, but they never move. I don't know how it's done. So that freaked me out. So then everybody was really excited. It was like, dude, we found this deer, we found the structure, we found the these Karens, we gotta come back. I said, we gotta come back. We gotta come back at night though. You know, we gotta do a night investigation. Assumably from from your work, they're more active like they're they're active during the day, of course, but they're significantly more active at night, correct? Oh yeah, I believe they're nocturnal. I think they they uh, they don't do very much during the day, except for maybe, you know, you may you may stumble across one down at a creek get a drink of water or something like that or early in the morning you know early in the morning people hunters seem to come across them when they're going into the woods while it's still dark you know what i mean like just before daybreak hunters will run into them you know um i had three people that are very close to me all big hunters who all hunt different locations and have broken my chops for 30 years about these creatures and each one of them had an event, had one, one guy was up in a tree and it is a, there's a, it's called the great swamp in Carmel up here. It's this giant swamp. It's like, you know, 1500 acre swamp. They call it the great swamp. And that summer we had a lot of rain. So the swamp was high. So my friend was up in a tree stand hunting the swamp with a bow. He was bow hunting and he had a range finder with him and he heard something splashing in the swamp, like 100, 200 yards away. So he picked up the rangefinder to see what it was. And he sees, he said, the thing had to be 12 feet tall because the water was six feet high and it only came to his waist. He said, and this creature was kicking up the mud because I believe he was looking for turtles or something. And he was kicking up the mud, it's splashing around. He said, but when my friend pulled up the rangefinder that see him, he put his head up and sniffed and turned and looked right at my friend. And my friend said, it got, it, it, it walked through the swamp, six foot of water, like me or you walk across a blade of grass. And it left, he said, the creature walked away and left. He said, I got out of the tree stand and left. I've never hunted that spot again. I've been going to that location for 30 years. 
Okay. All it takes is one time, man. <laughs> he said the thing, he goes, Al, I swear to God, it had to be 12 feet tall. Then it was another time, a cousin of mine was hunting a uh, location that he hunts all the time. It's like a bowl. It's got ridges all around it. And then it drops down. It's like almost like a bowl shape, right? Mm. And he's up in a tree stand. And, you know, up here in New York, if you're bow hunting, you're not allowed to carry funny firearms with you, right? Only your bow. He's up in the tree stand and he's sitting in the tree stand and he's in this bowl, like a bowl, waiting for something to come. And he hears something charging through the woods up on the ridge. He said it sound like a bulldozer coming through. You could just hear trees going down. Boom, boom, boom. He said it's it, the ground, the tree he was in was shaking from the vibration of this thing running through the woods. It came right up to the edge of the tree line, looked down into the bowl where my cousin was on the tree stand and screamed at him. He said the scream was so strong that it, almost knocked me out of the tree. He said at that point, he got out of the tree stand, got in his truck and left. He said, I've never hunted that location again, ever. Then another one, another friend of mine who I played football with in high school, he was hunting, you know, again, a guy who broke my chops. I've been hunting all my life. I've never seen nothing. He's hunting. He's got his uh, he's hunting with a 30 odd six. He's in full camo. He's leaning against the tree. It's dark out. He's waiting for the daylight to come. And he hears something splashing around in the swamp. He says, oh, man, maybe, maybe a buck in the swamp or something, you know. And he said, up above him on the ridge above him, he said, and this was a high ridge. He said it looked like it was about a mile away. He heard three incredibly loud whoops. He said, I have never heard anything like this in my life. He said, I turned to look to see what the hell made those whoops. He said, then something came out of the swamp and started running up the hill. He said, when he turned back around, he said, the creature ran right past him. He said, it had legs like tree trunks. He said, it ran right past him, looked at him, ran right past him. And ran up the ridge. He said it would have took him all day to get up that ridge. So this thing went up there in like two minutes. It was gone. Up and over the ridge. He said, I said, well, you had your 30 odd six with you. Why didn't you shoot it? And he just shook his head. He said, Al, this thing was way too big. The gun wasn't big enough, he said. He said, the thought of picking up the gun that was in his hand never crossed his mind because his eyes couldn't, couldn't comprehend. His brain couldn't comprehend what his eyes were seeing. Dude, that's one thing that people got to take into consideration when it comes to these experiences is the fact that when you have something like that in your presence, your first reaction isn't to grab a camera. It's not even to grab your gun if you have a gun in your hand. Your first reaction is you just have this fight or flight response where you're just trying to figure out and assess what it even is in your mind. And then once you assess it, more than often than not, when it, including most of these hunter stories that you've said, you've assessed that your gun can't do anything. So your best course of action is to stay silent and try not to be too noticeable or seen or just hope that it just doesn't have an interest in you and it just walks away. But when it comes to these things, man, like we already know about like the whole concept of like having like a sixth sense and we just aren't fully in tune with it in nature. But when it comes to these Sasquatch beings, I think that they have a full 
idea of everything that's around them. And they're fully aware of, even if you see them off at a distance, they know that you're there and they're aware that you can see them. And they almost try to like assert their dominance over you in an aspect of like, they know you can't do anything. And they know that like, they're just like, go ahead look at me all you want. You're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they smell us from a mile away. Just all the, all the different perfumes we use in our soaps in our shampoos, in our laundry detergents, they smell all of that stuff because it's not natural in their environment. So they, they smell you a mile away, smell you a mile away. And like I, my friend said, he said his mind, when he seen the legs, how thick they were running up the hill, he said it, felt, it sounded like a herd of elephants coming up the hill. He said, and then he it just looked up slowly and he just kept looking up and up and up. And he said, and this thing ran by him and just looked down at him, like, you know, and he said, and the vibe he got, he said, was this was a, a juvenile and that was Big Mama calling him home. He said, I don't even think that was like Big Daddy. Yeah, I can't even imagine just the idea and the size of. Most more often than not, it seems like when people experience these things, they end up being like the juveniles because they're kind of doing the thing where they're treading the waters, kind of seeing what they can get away with. And it's not very often I feel that people actually do come in contact with these big papa ones. But then you come into like, you know, the experiences where people are talking about, um, what's the one that's like gigantis or something like that. And assumably if it works like how most animals work, where the male kind of stays back and you're mainly just seeing like the babies. Uh, all that, like we have this size comparison that we kind of judge off of being like, you know, around eight foot, 10 foot, that kind of an area. But I honestly feel like we're barely actually seeing the full size males. So we don't actually have a full idea, impression of how big these things can really get. Yeah. And people, people don't understand when you see these things in front of you, um, whether it's 10 feet, 25 feet, 50 feet in front of you, clear as day. They're larger than life. They're, they're, you know, we don't think seven foot is tall, but seven foot is tall when it's seven foot tall, five feet wide and four feet thick. You don't, I always go, I always use the comparison. I go a hundred pounds per foot. So if it's seven feet tall, it's 700 pounds. And I always say, because everybody always says, oh, it was probably about 250 pounds. It was about 500 pounds. I say, no, you're wrong. If it was seven feet tall, minimum of 700 pounds. And I'm sure I'm light. I'm positive that it's probably even closer to like 1,200 pounds because they're so dense. They're so thick. You don't understand when you see these things up close and personal, time slows down. Time slows down. Everything comes to a stop, man. And your brain is trying to rationalize what your eyes are seeing. And it can't. You know what I mean? Because these things aren't supposed to exist, but they're there. It's standing in front of you, flesh and blood. You can't deny what you can reach out and touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of where it gets into the idea of like, are they remnants of something that is from the past or are they something that's never even intended to fully be in this reality to begin with? And somehow they've found a way to be here or, you know, they've transitioned into coming into this reality. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times my mindset has changed on these things over the years. The longer you do it, the, 
you'll go through different stages of what you think they are. I'm at this. I've spoken to enough world-renowned psychics who tell me that they're interdimensional. I've seen enough things. I experienced enough things in my life personally to see these things in front of you one minute they're in front of you next minute they're not i can't tell you how many footprints i found where it's just one foot it's right foot or left foot it's i only found one trackway once in my whole life everything else is either better right foot or a left foot where are they going you know what i mean why isn't there another footprint there you know um i also believe that they also have the ability because i've spoken to enough hunters that say I was, you know, in a tree stand and I seen this thing come out of, out of the woods and I looked at it through my scope and I had it in my crosshairs. Not that they were going to shoot it, but they just wanted to get a closer look at what the hell they're saying coming out. And they said the thing noticed me and then it disappeared. And I don't think it literally blinked out from where it was. I think once it noticed that he was being noticed, it was able to raise its vibration where it can go into a different spectrum of light because our eyes only see in a very small spectrum. So if you can raise your vibration to change the spectrum of light you're in, then what's ever looking at you thinks you disappeared and you're not there anymore. You know what I mean? Do you think that has yeah. to do with their like their vocal range? Because obviously they have a way wider range than people do. So maybe they're giving off or doing whatever with a certain type of vocalization. And it may be something that's not something that humans can pick up on, but it's actually some kind of loud scream or whatever. And because of the vibration they're creating when they're making that scream, maybe they like vibrate into, I don't want to say another dimension or frequency or anything like that necessarily, but maybe they're able to like vibrate their frequency to become invisible essentially because of just the vibration of the particles. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's, it's a sound vibration. I think it's more of a, a conscious, a consciousness vibe frequency or vibration that, that takes them to another level where they can, they can disappear. I believe they can travel into different dimensions when I believe they can come and go as they please. I believe there's a lot. I think if they're in front of you with flesh and blood, you can kill it. I've known people, I've talked to people who have killed them over the years. You know what I mean? Um, You got to know where to shoot them though. There's only certain areas you can shoot them to kill them. So when they're flesh and blood and they're hair and you kill it, I don't think they can take it back to their dimension because the, it's it's dead and they can't get that solid mass into their dimension. It has to vibrate at that frequency where it turns into electromagnetic energy or something to transfer through to the next dimension. So in cases like that, I believe they bury them here. I got pictures of what I believe is a burial mound, you know, um, I mean, assumably they could be all over the woods because if they're intelligent creatures and they do bury their dead in some way, shape, or form, any little foothill you go over in the woods, you could be walking over Sasquatch bones regularly and not realizing it because people aren't just like digging up every single hill they walk past in the woods. Mm, But, you know, I I think when you come across one of their graves, it's very human-esque. You'll find a giant headstone, you know, a rock that you need a bulldozer to move. You know what I mean? Mm. And then you'll find hundreds of hundreds of smaller stones on top but 
but I do notice whenever I go to a location where I think it's a burial site, there's always a sentinel there watching it. Like uh, you're saying, like another like another Sasquatch that like kind of like, yes, sits around, kind of keeping protection over the area. Yeah, just keeping an eye on it. Yes. Do they have like a from your experience at least like when it comes to like when a human passes away? There's certain traditions where you kind of stay around the body for like a certain amount of time. Um, is that is there like a like a certain amount of time or like a like a like a spiritual aspect that kind of goes into it, or do you think it's kind of just like they wait until like the body maybe deteriorates to a certain point, and then after that they kind of know it's safe to kind of leave it alone or? I don't know if they have any burial rituals. I honestly, I, I couldn't answer that question. Honestly, I don't know uh, what their what what entails of their burial rituals. I don't think they bury a lot of them here. I think they try to get them back to their dimension. I think that's another reason why the people never find any bones, you know, skeletons of these creatures because they take them back to wherever they're actually from, and they do whatever they do there. But I think if it one dies here, they'll bury it here. Um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, like, but I've noticed every time I've gone to, so I got my psychic on my team, she's Native American, and if I go to a location, I'll ask her, what are you feeling? And she'll say, oh, this this, this side is very squatchy, or this side is, you know, got dark energy to it, or this side is, you know, uh, my, I'm buzzing, this is a different kind of energy. She'll tell me, she says, she'll say, where are you? And I never tell my psychic what I'm doing or what I'm planning. She usually, she's in Arkansas mm -hmm. and she, she, re she reads everything through me. She says, I'm a conduit. And whenever we got something planned, an expedition or whatever, she'll call me like a week before and say, what are you guys up to? I'm seeing this, I'm feeling that, you know, and then we'll tell her, oh, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we plan on going here. You know, we don't tell her what we what we're going to do. We just tell her where we plan on going. And then if I'm at a location in the woods and I call her and she'll say, Oh yeah, this is be careful here because this is a burial site and there's always someone watching it. So you don't want to disrespect that grave in any way, shape or form because it may be the end of you if you do, you know, and I, and I never would. And it's funny. The one I found, I took pictures of it from every possible angle and I put it out on, 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 uh, on the site on our Facebook pages. And someone sent it back to me with a circle around the rock. And I go, what's this? And they go, your name is carved into the rock. It says Al. And I go, what do you mean? My name is carved into the rock. He said, Look at the rock. Your name is carved into it. It says Al. I've looked at this picture many times. I've never noticed it, but I, you know, again, I go back to my original SD card and I look and sure as shit, it looks like someone took a chisel and chiseled my name into that rock. It's almost like they, there's like a connection, like they knew that you were going to be there or maybe they were like. Yeah, maybe they, 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 I, my psychic says I have uh, my energy. They like my energy and they know when I'm coming even before I get there. And, uh, so they always know when I'm coming. And uh, that's why I always have some kind of experience because they get excited when I come. You know what I mean? But um, it was it was just crazy that like my name is carved into this giant stone in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. You know, and like I said, you would need a bulldozer to move this thing. It's so big, you know. 
And then there's a million other stones across. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It looks like, it looks like, but the, I mean, but it's like 10 feet long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I never, the thought never crossed my mind to actually go and look at the rock to see if anything was inscribed on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause to me, it was just a big rock, you know, but someone found my name just chiseled in. They're like, did you do this? I'm like, do what? Put your name on a rock. It's like, I would never defile anything that I believe is sacred to the Sasquatch. What are you crazy? And like, I would never do that. Like, well, your name is in the rock. And I was like, get out of here. You know, get the hell out of here. And then they showed it to me and it blew my mind. When it comes to uh, like these burial locations, from your experience at least, does it seem like they're like buried in singles, or does it almost seem like they may have like clan, uh, like graveyards or something like that, where they kind of bury like family together? Um, I think I think if I think if there's like a, a, a whole clan dies, I think uh, from some kind of sickness or something, um, then they will bury the whole clan together. But usually, it's just one off single at a time yeah so um i'm assuming that maybe this kind of started to link into where you kind of have your like specific locations like is this is this burial location that your name is at one of your kind of like regular locations that you frequent when you're doing oh research? yeah absolutely yeah i got five different locations that i'm working um it's just different locations different times of the year how did you uh like stumble upon these locations was it a matter of kind of like knowing that it was like like almost like a portal or like a thin void area or um was it that one was a burial area specifically but how, how did you like stumble upon these locations exactly to figure out that they would be like good high traffic areas well one one we i stumbled across only reason i noticed it is because there had been a fire in the woods over the winter and all the the brush and everything and the brambles and the pricker bushes were all burnt out so I was able to get in deeper than I normally would be able to get in. And I noticed what looked like a, a giant megalithic stone with hundreds of stones on top of it. So I told my camera guy, I said, zoom in up there. Let's, let's take a good look at that. So he zoomed in on it. We're looking at it on his, on his monitor. He says, it looks like a megalithic stone with 100 Karens on it, you know? And he goes, how the hell are we going to get up there? And I go, follow me. And I just bulldozed through those woods and I went straight up there. When we got up there, these stones were set up in a circle. Like it looked like the size of a football field, but it was a complete circle with hundreds and hundreds of stones on top of each one of these megalithic stones. And then it was arches and X's and bends and breaks and twists. And it was just so much sign, you know, and I called my psychic and she read the energy in place. And she said, this is a sacred site. It was used by the uh, it was used by white men before the Native Americans, and then the Native Americans use it, and now the Sasquatch use it. She said, "Be careful here. Don't disrespect anything. This is a sacred site." She goes, "Nothing will happen to you here as long as you don't disrespect this site." So that's how I stumbled across that one. 
another one I stumbled across because I was just hiking through the woods and I heard something scream on top of the hill. And I was like, I was like, what? you know, obviously I knew what it was. So I started walking up the hill and I seen, I seen two footprints, one coming down, like something ran down the hill and his heel went into the dirt. Okay. And it looked clear as day as like a footprint coming down the hill. And then as I walked up further, I seen another footprint, but it looked like where the ball of the foot and the toes were pushing off to go back up. Mm -hmm. So it was one foot coming down and one foot going up. And um, I heard this thing going off up there and that led me in there. And then it started to, they started putting roadblocks up for me, like broke, cut, ripped down logs to stop me from coming up, you know? So then I started gifting on the logs and that led to a whole big thing with gifting and all kinds. I don't gift food. I give toys. I give I gift trinkets. I go to the dollar store. They like bells and whistles and stuff like that. Um, Nerf balls, softballs, stuff like that. They, they like they like noisemakers. You That's know, what I was going to say shiny stuff and noisemakers is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, and I learned a lot from that location as far as gifting wise, and all kind of like two or three epiphanies at that location. That's where I found. That's where I found the the witch called the grave site. And I, and every time I go there, there's always one up on top of the mountain standing guard over that site. You know what I mean? Now, I don't know if he's there particularly for that grave or if he's there because the rest of the clan is on the other side of that, up on top of that mountain sleeping during the day. And he's the, he's the century, you know, just keeping a lookout. But every time I go, there's one there, you know, and, uh, so that's how I started that. Another time, I was just hiking through the woods with my dog. I did a lot of hiking with my dog. And I started noticing sign, you know, the bends and bring it. You know, the weather does a lot of a lot of tree damage and stuff. Don't get me wrong. The cold, the rain, the snow, the ice will definitely damage trees. But when all of these signs are together in one location, that's a red flag. That means you're you're in a hot spot, you know? It's not just a break and nothing else. It's not just a bend. It's not just a twist. It's everything. When it's everything, then you're in a good location. So what, what do I do? I go back. I do a day-night investigation. I hunker down. I do what I do to call them in, and they come in to look to see who's who's there, you know? And that's... How that's how that's how I get started. It's just, just most of the times it's just by accident, you know. Are uh, are all of these areas somewhat close to each other? Like it would be like the same clan that you're interacting with? Uh, no, 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 none of them are close to one another. No, they're not. So I think I'm I'm dealing with like five different clans. Yeah. What's uh like? What's like the demeanor of some of them? Are they all kind of like the same? Where they're more of like a friendly clan, or is there like some that seem like they're a little bit more like aggressive or more hostile towards you being in the area? Um, the one where, um, where that found that lone that lone grave, he's 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 a little bit more aggressive than the rest of them. You know what I mean? Um, he's he's gotten better over the years. As far as not being so aggressive, but 
in the beginning, he would just go off, you know, and I, and I think it was just trying to scare me out of the area. You know what I mean? I mean, assumably, I mean, he's probably trying to live up to his job, too, in the aspect of, like, he's, like, the guard watchdog guy. So, of course, he's probably trying to play that, like, bouncer role where he's trying to, like, you know, he's interested in you, of course, but he's still trying to, like, assert that he's the one in control of the situation. Yeah, because he's trying to intimidate me because he don't know what he doesn't know what I'm up to. You know what I mean? Mm. And um, so, you know, and a lot of these sites are on private property. So you have to get permission from the landowners to get on there. You know what I'm saying? If you don't, you'll get arrested. So, um, but um, yeah, he's he's the one guy who in the beginning was like the most aggressive. And I think it was just because that was his job to scare people off. He's never, I've never been, I've had rocks thrown at me, but none have ever hit me. You know what I mean? I've been, I've had, I've never had a tree shake ever. I've had branches being broke that sound like guns going off, you know, that, that basically tell you it's time for you to leave, you know, mm-hmm. but um, never had any logs thrown at me or any, anything really, I wouldn't consider, you know, to be dangerous or, or aggressive, you know, it's just little things, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories where people have had trees thrown at them and rocks the size of boulders thrown at them and you know, nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. What's the, uh, what's the rule of thumb? They say if it's anything bigger than a softball, then get out of the area as fast as you possibly can. But before that, anything that's pebble sized, they're more so just trying to kind of see what you'll do and kind of getting a feel for you. Um, that, not necessarily. I mean, I would say if, if you're getting rocks thrown at you the size of a baseball, you probably should get the hell out of Dodge because if you get hit in the head with one of those things, you, you can kill you. Yeah. I mean, as far as the pebbles go, if it's the size of an acorn and they're not actually hitting you, then that's fine. But um, they can hit you in the head if they want to hit you in the head. You know what I mean? Assumably, that's probably their main like weapon when it comes to most things. So I guarantee you their aim when it comes to rocks is beyond phenomenal. It's probably like better than like the best marksman you know, with, like, with, 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 a, with a rifle. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, we, we had a rock thrown out. We were, one time, we were up on a ridge. We were like 30 feet up on a ridge. And we had trees above us that had to be 60, 100 feet tall. And we were sitting there, and we heard three whoops, right? We heard it walk in on us. We heard the whoops. And we didn't leave. We were holding, we're sticking our ground. And if this thing threw a rock the size of, a bowling ball up over the ridge, up over the top of the trees. And it came down between the three of us and rolled and hit my partner's chair. My partner said, now oh, I think it's time to go, you know? And I was like, no, I'm not ready to leave yet. Let's just wait a few more minutes, you know? But if he wanted to hit any one of us with a rock that big, we were, we, any, any of us could have been killed, you know? But that's how good their aim is. How do you get something like a shot put up over the trees to come straight down in between three people who are sitting in a triangle formation? That just shows their intelligence. They're also uh, master mathematicians. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely it's absolutely insane how good they are with stones. And if you get hit with a stone, it's because either a juvenile threw it and it doesn't have good aim or 
they want you out of there. And the next time you get hit, you can probably, it'll probably kill you. You know, that's that warning shot. <laughs> yes. I had a friend of mine who got hit with a rock on, on an investigation one time. And I said, how big was it? And he said, it was, you know, a nice size rock. I said, where did it hit you? He goes, in the head. I go, how hard was it? Because it wasn't hard, but it hurt. I said, then it must have been a juvenile who was, didn't mean to hit you. Because if an older one would have hit you with a rock that big, would have crushed your skull. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, kind of bouncing into some of the experiences that you've had at some of these locations, um, I'd love to get into, you know, some of your more, uh, most like in your face experiences, I guess you could say. All right. Well, there was another time we were going back. We were going back to that location at night. Okay. We went back to that location at night. Is this the the main big one that you're saying is about the size of like a football field or so with the, with the rocks uh, centered around it? No. This was the Appalachian Trail, the one we did during the day where we found the deer and everything. Mm-hmm. We went back at night. Now, you got to understand all my friends are from the city. They're not country people. And we're, we're walking in the Appalachian Trail. One minute is the size of a mining road. And the next minute, it's the size of a goat trail. And it's very treacherous. And we're doing this at night. And it was like 1% of the moon that night. So it was really dark. And we're going up this goat trail. And a friend of mine, Anthony, was leading. He was, he was, he was point man. And this other kid, O'Neill, was in the back. And I was in the middle. And we had come to a, a point up on this. We were going over this mountain and we come to the top of the mountain crest and there was an archway over the top of the mountain. And nobody noticed it, but me. And I said, let's stop here and drink some water. Cause we were in like three miles and we needed, we needed a water break anyway. And I was getting the feeling I was getting this vibe that there was something on the high Ridge to our West that was paralleling us. At the same time, I felt like there was something down in the holler below us paralleling us. And I had a million Luma flashlight at the time. And I'm I'm searching the high ridge and I'm looking for eye shine or anything, you know, and I don't see anything. And then I'm looking down in the holler. Again, I'm looking for eye shine. I'm not seeing anything. And then Anthony comes up to me and he says, I think we're being followed. I go, what makes you think that? And he goes, Al, I'm telling you, there's something on that high ridge. It's been paralleling us since since we started. I said, yeah, I agree. I think so, too, you know. And then O'Neill comes up from the back, and he says, I think we're being followed. And I go, yeah, we were just talking about it on the high ridge. He goes, no, no, there's something down in that hollow. I hear something walking with us. When we stop, it stops, you know. And I was like, okay. So we're all sitting there, and again, we're looking. We're, we're we got the flashlight going, and we're looking, looking. I had night vision goggles. We're looking through the night vision goggles. We're not seeing anything, and then a smell came up out of the holler that was so bad that it knocked us to our knees. That's how bad it was. A funk, like I can't even describe. It was so nasty. Just, I mean, burn your eyes, kind of nasty smell. I mean, it was horrible. Like one of the intentional pheromone smells or just like the natural smell of it? Now, this, I think these two creatures were hunting. 
and we were in between them. And I think the one below us was aggravated. And I think it let out that smell to let us know, get the hell out of the way. We want, we want to, we want to hunt, you know? So that smell came up. I mean, it literally knocked everybody to our knees. That's how bad it smelled. You've never smelled a funk like this, right? So I said, let's kind of freaked me out, kind of scared me because I'm thinking maybe they're getting aggravated that we're in their way, you know, now they're letting secretion out. So I said, you know, we're on this goat trail, only one person at a time. Let's get off this damn goat trail. Let's get down into the lowlands. We get down into the lowlands and we're in a swampy area, but it opened up and we're now, it's wide. We can breathe. We can't see shit because it's only 1% of the moon out. And I mean, we have our headlamps on, but you really can't see shit. And there is a pack of coyotes that had to be a, a large family unit, 20 coyotes, okay? And they're running around the woods and they're whooping and they're yipping and they're really, really excited. They're going crazy. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, you hear what sounds like rolling thunder. These two Sasquatches one came running out of the holler. One came running down the ridge. And they just started attacking the coyotes and smashing them against trees and smashing them against the ground and smashing them against rock. And these coyotes are yipping for their lives. And they're running in every different direction. I mean, every and my friends took off. Everybody just took off. And I was like, don't run, don't run, don't run. And these guys were just spread out through the woods. They didn't even know where they were going. They were just getting out of Dodge. And it was funny. I was the only guy who stood my ground. And a coyote is running right towards me. And I'm looking at it come towards me. But it's not looking at me. It's looking over its shoulder like something's chasing it. This thing had fear in its eyes. Okay? In the meantime, you could hear coyotes just crying getting their necks twisted and everything. And this thing ran by, ran right into me, sent me flying. I hit a tree and I dislocated my shoulder. Now I'm down on the ground with a dislocated shoulder. The coyote just ran, kept running. My friends are gone. I'm, and now the coyotes are gone. I don't know where the Sasquatches are, but they took their anger uh, from us out on the coyotes. I guarantee you. They, they were pissed off at us, and they took it out on the coyotes. Do you think they were and trying I, to eat the coyotes, too, or do you think it was more so just straight aggression, like they were just going at it? I think they were following the coyotes, and they were going to take the coyotes' kill because this was a big pack, and they could have took down a large deer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think we pissed them off so much that they were so mad that they took it out on the coyotes because they didn't want to kill us, you know? And I leaned up against the tree and I snapped my shoulder back in place and I hike out. I'm hiking out and I come across uh, a, a young couple camping off the Appalachian Trail in a tent. And the guy opens up the tent. And he's like, what's going on? You know, and I like, just stay in the tent. The coyotes are going crazy. It's a full moon. Uh, they won't bother you in here. You know what I mean? And so don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And I get out to the street and I walk back up to the car, which was like about a mile away. 
and everybody met back at the car, but he got out all right, you know, and I was like, what happened to you? I said, I coyote ran into me, dislocated my shoulder. Then I try to get in the car. I get in the car to leave. I go to reach for the door to close the door, and I pulled my shoulder out again. So now I got to get back out of the car, lean against the truck, snap it back in place again, go home, wake my wife up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, take me to the hospital because I dislocated my shoulder. She was not happy. You know, she was not a happy camper getting out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and taking and spending the whole night in the, in the emergency room. You know, and it was really nothing they could do for me anyway. They said, you know, I knocked it back in place and they said you should get good physical therapy on it. And so that's what I did. But man, that night was crazy. You just heard them come charging out, charging out. Like one minute this thing was up on a ridge and the next minute it was in the swamp. And one minute this thing was in the depths of the holler and the next minute it was in the swamp. And then you just hear coyotes getting slammed against trees and smashed against the ground and smashed against rocks. Every time they grabbed one, it just twisted its neck and snapped its neck. It was just, it was crazy. It was just absolutely insane. My friends were like, that's it. We're done. We're not going back in the woods at night. <laughs> um, we, we, we didn't come up to the woods to get killed in the middle of the night. So then uh, my brother said, you know, you should really put a team together with experienced investigators instead of just your friends from work. <laughs> and that's when I put my real team together and we really started, you know, going out and doing investigations and stuff. But, um, yeah, that would, that, and like, and like I said, the only reason why we went out at night is because we found all that stuff and we went out the week before. And when we got back to that location where we found that like, uh, TP, mm -hmm. the TP was gone. It was gone. We looked, we didn't know if the park rangers had cut it up and thrown it away in pieces we looked for cut up logs, you know, because usually when a tree goes down, it's just cut them up and throw them on the side of the path. They're not going to haul them out of there. Well, we looked for logs, cut up logs everywhere. There were no cut up logs. There was no sign of the TP. Everything was gone. Like someone dismantled it and took it away somewhere. There, it was nowhere to be found. Do you almost think that there's like people that work for forestry that their whole job is to find things like this and get rid of evidence? I think there are forestry people who who, who work that um, know about these things, and when they do find this this kind of stuff, they do uh, cut it up and get rid of it. Yes, I don't know if it's necessarily their specific job, but I think they're told, "Hey, if you ever come across something like this." Make sure you cut it up and get rid of it. You know what I mean? I kind of wonder if it goes the same for like footprints and things like that, too. That if there's, you know, rangers and they come across like giant footprints, maybe they take a cache for themselves and then they're intended to like destroy the footprints after, like bury them in with dirt, like coat them over, like whatever. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they kick them. They could, they cover them up with their boots, you know, just scrape them out of, scrape them off with their boots so you can't, you know, you don't see it and stuff. But most of the times when you find a footprint, you're you're deep in, you know what I mean, and you're off trail. Um, so most of the times, the footprints I found were never on trail um, where they could do something like that, you know, uh, uh, just scrape it up with their boots or something so you don't see it. It's always been in a swamp or something like that or up, up on a mountain somewhere, up on a hill on the soft dirt, you know, never, never just on a trail. 
Do you think that uh, like Sasquatches have learned to kind of like try to avoid trails as much as possible to begin with? So maybe there's not really too, too much to really be found around trails besides just like a lucky random thing here or there. I think they use trails um, as um, what you call to hunt off of. I think a lot of, a lot of um, animals will use a trail, uh, the, you know, what they call out the least uh, resistance kind of, you know, a trail of least resistance, the path of least resistance, the animals are going to take to get one to one point to the other. So I think the Sasquatches will hunt off the trails, you know, if they know there's a herd of deer using them or if there's, you know, something going up this trail that they want to eat, whether it's be raccoons or something like that, you know? So uh, going back into some of your experiences that you've had in these locations, um, what are, what are some of the other uh, like big ticket uh, experiences that you've experienced at some of these locations? Okay, well there was an experience. I went to the sacred site, which is the one with the stone megalithic stones. Mm-hmm. I brought up a couple of um, ghost hunters, a couple of women that came up to me at a ghost hunting event, and they were like, "Hey, I'll take a squatch, and it's on our bucket list," you know. And I started laughing. I said, "Okay, if you want to go, I'll take you." <laughs> um, I said, we just got to run, run over some things to do, you know, of case of certain scenarios. And um, I said, whatever you do, don't run. Don't run from any predators. Never mind the Sasquatch because you can't outrun anything. So stand your ground. Uh, I gave them both machetes and survival knives and pepper spray. I walked them through all the first aid kind of stuff that you would want to you know, put yourself in a good position if, the, if you do come across a predator. And I told him, I said, whatever you do, don't, don't panic. And, um, you know, don't be afraid of the dark. And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? Be afraid of the dark. We're in, we're in haunted houses all night long. We, you know, in, in uh, attics and basements and haunted houses in the dark. We're not afraid of the dark. I said, look, haunted house is one thing. Four miles deep in the woods under the tree canopy is another. <laughs> I said, it's a different kind of dark, I said. You know what I mean? Even just like you, movement around you too. You know, you go to a paranormal house and, you know, it's pretty quiet besides if, you know, there's something going on there. But just being in the woods in general, even besides Sasquatch, there's constantly things moving around you. So it's a totally different state of alertness and fear within the dark. When you're in the woods and it's dark and you're unfamiliar with the location, you feel very, very vulnerable. You know what I mean? No matter how you position yourself, you feel vulnerable. You just, because you're out of your elements, it's nighttime, you can't see. And most of the animals that are walking around at night are nocturnal, and they can see you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I take these women up to the sacred site. We go there during the day. I like to do a day and night thing. We take them there during the day so they can get pictures of all the stone structures and all the arches and the X's and the bends. And one of them is a psychic and she starts walking around on her own. And I call my psychic down in Arkansas. My psychic is telling the other one with us that this used to be a native American site and the Sasquatch used it and yada, yada, yada. And then the other one comes back from her walk and she says, you're not going to believe this, but I just met a native American woman on the other side of these stones. And she asked me if she could wait here for her tribe. And I told her, yes, I hope that was okay. I said, absolutely. 
Of course, you know, she's not talking about a real Native American woman. She's talking about a spirit, you know? She didn't run across a regular Native American. There are no more Native Americans over here, you know? And uh, so the other woman is hearing this and saying, I just got off the phone with a psychic, and she just said this was a, a sacred site for the Native American. So we sit down. Um, I don't like to light campfires. I don't want anybody to know where I'm at. I don't want to burn the woods down. So what I usually do is <clears throat> I'll lay down a row of glow sticks around us where we sit for ambient light. So we got ambient light in all directions, okay? Mm -hmm. And we have headlamps on, but I don't put the headlamps on unless I'm actually leaving or coming in. And so we got the circle. We're in a circle of glow sticks, and we're talking, and it's getting dark, and it's getting dark. And, you know, I do my little ritual to bring them down, you know, because this is what these women are here for, to have a Sasquatch experience. I do that. And then you hear them come down off the ridge. <clears throat> and originally, it's the big boys coming down because they sound like a herd of elephants. Boom, boom. And they're doing it on purpose. They want you to know they're coming down. You know what I mean? They're not sneaking up on you. You call them down, they're coming. So the girls hear these footprints, and the, the ground is shaking and vibrating. And they're like, what the hell is this? And I said, it's the big guys coming down. And then you can hear them surrounding us. And the girls are freaking out, like, Jesus Christ, now we're being surrounded. And I'm like, relax. This is the sacred site. I've been coming here for years. No one has ever been hurt here. We're not going to be hurt. Don't worry. So then they start throwing rocks at us, little rocks. The rocks are landing just on the other side of the glow sticks. And they're like freaking out. Oh, now they're throwing rocks at us. We, we, we should leave. We should leave. I go, leave my ass. We just got here. Relax. Don't. I said, look, if I can feel your anxiety, they can feel your anxiety. And we don't want to make them nervous. Okay? Relax. Breathe. So they're, they're trying to breathe. And now we're getting whoops. And we're getting um, whistles. And we're getting tree knocks and we're getting rock knocks and we're getting all kinds of stuff from all different angles. And the girls are freaking out because it's coming from all around us. But they're recording because they're ghost hunters. So they got their recorders going, you know, 24 seven. <laughs> yeah. And uh, which is great because it validated everything we experienced, you know, and um, at one point after all the whistles and whoops and all that other stuff. One of them, I'm going to say one of the bigger ones, grabbed a tree branch, a fresh branch, and I'm going to say it was a nice thick branch, and snapped it. And it sounded like a 30-odd six going off by your ear. That's how loud it was. And the girls freak out. And I say, okay, now it's time for us to go. They want us to go. I know it's coming next. Trees are going to start shaking. You know what I mean? We don't want to wait. We don't want to push him to that point. This is, this is get the hell out of here and leave now. So we pack up our stuff and we hike out. We get down to the trail. We go out about a mile or two. We come to a meadow. We sit down in the meadow and we discuss what we just experienced. And the girls are bouncing off the walls. They're so excited. They can't believe that Bigfoots came down and surrounded them. 
they can't believe that they got whistles and whoops and knocks and all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? They just can't believe it. They're giddy like school kids, you know? <laughs> and they're like, I can't, you know, my, my husband is never going to believe this. You know, no one's going to believe this. Good thing we got the audio recordings and everything, you know? Okay. So at one point we decide to, I said, okay, you know, let's pack up and let's head out. We still got like another, maybe two miles to go. So we hike out. As we're hiking out, we're getting a whistle from the right, a whistle from the left, and a whoop from behind us. And one of the women is arguing with me that the whoop is a barred owl. And I was like, could be a barred owl. And if we weren't where we were at and had the experience we had, I would say it's a barred owl. But I don't think that whoop is a barred owl. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's a Bigfoot and we're being herded out. This is what they do. They herd us out to about a mile away from the main road. And then they stop and we just keep going. So we're walking. The woman who's psychic turns to me and says, you know, we're being followed, right? And I go, yeah, I need the side of us. She goes, yeah. So we're walking, we're walking. Now we're getting close to the point where they usually stop and go turn around and go back. And we go, we just continue on because from that point on, it's about a mile to the road. And there's a ranger station at the at the beginning of the road, you know. And so once you get to the ranger station, you know, you're you're good to go. And um, we're walking. And then all of a sudden, the one that was way in the back comes racing up the mining road. I mean, 100 miles an hour. He gets, as soon as he gets to a certain point, the other two jump out. Now there's three of them on the mining road. And they're doing what something I never heard before in my life. They're monkey barking. And the woods are echoing and the girls freak out and they take off running. And I'm screaming, don't run, don't run, don't run, don't run. But these girls are gone, man. You know, they're just gone. So I chase after him. I finally catch up to him about 100 yards down the road. And I say, stop. Don't run. You can't outrun these creatures. You don't want to get their prey drive going. Stand your ground. We'll walk out of here at our own pace. And in the meantime, these three Sasquatches start jumping up and down. And you can hear one hit the ground, another one hit the three different weights, right? And then they start slapping the road. And you can feel the vibration come down the road and go up your legs and through your body. The whole time, they're still doing this monkey barking. And the woods are just echoing insane. It is so loud that you can't even think. And my mind is going like a thousand miles an hour. What am I going to do? Now, The at first, the vibe I got from them was... These were three young juvenile, male juveniles that were fucking with the girls and wanted to scare them. You that was that the vibe. Sensed like their energy when they were scared at the site, so they were kind of just like feeding off of that energy that they were kind of putting out. I think the one that was in the back said, "Let's fuck with these people and scare the shit out of them." That's what I think he said. Okay, and he was the leader of those three. He came charging up, and everybody. And then the vibe changed. It reached a fever pitch. I mean, it was so crazy. 
three of them going at once, jump and slap and jump and slap and monkey bark. And it was just insane. And I felt the whole energy of the woods change. And I said, oh, shit, I got to do something. Because if I don't do something right now, these three may come charging down here because they're getting themselves really excited. I don't know if it's three males excited about the women or three women pissed off that there are other women, you know, in the woods, three Sasquatch women pissed off that there are other women in the woods, but whatever happened, the energy changed. So I said, well, I, sh- I could pull out my flare gun, shoot it up in the air, see what they look like. But if it comes down, it could start a fire because it's the fall. I could shoot it along the mining road because the mining road is concrete. But God forbid the flare hits one of them and puts one of them on fire. Then I'm a dead man. Yeah, you right? got the other two chasing you down at that point. Oh. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a dead man. That's what I'm saying. I'm a dead man. So then I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I pulled out my 18-inch machete. I put my headlamp on. I put my machete in the headlamp, and I kept twisting it back and forth so they could see the light reflecting off the metal. And I start walking straight towards them. And I'm screaming, and I'm yelling, and I guess I'm the alpha. These women are with me. I got to protect them. I got to let these three adolescents know that I'm the boss, not you. And I'm trying to get them in my headlamp because I want to get a look. I want to get a look at them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But every step I took towards them, they must have stepped back because I could never get them in my headlamp. And then I got about like a hundred yards away from the women and the women started to freak out. They're like, Al, you're too far away. You got to come back. You got to come back, you know, but I'm, I'm cursing like a sailor. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to do this bullshit. You were just supposed to guide us out. You know, this is not what's going to happen. The big, the, the, the big guys are going to kick your ass when you get back there. You know, I'm just screaming and cursing like a lunatic. So I get to a certain point where they were, they're not there anymore. I turn around and I say, okay, now we're going to walk out of here. I'm talking to the Sasquatches. Now we're going to walk out of here at our own pace and you're not going to follow us. And I walk back to the ladies and I put the machete away and I said, okay, ladies, now let's just walk. Because they want to walk fast. They don't want to walk backwards. They want to make sure nothing comes charging down. I'm like, nope, we're going to walk. We're going to keep our back to them. And we're going to walk out of here at a very slow pace. We're going to take our time and nothing is going to happen to us because all the noise that they made, the big guys heard. And I guarantee you that one of the big guys came over to investigate what the hell was going on, because that wasn't what they were supposed to do. They were just supposed to guide us to that point, that mile marker where they usually stop and go back. And not do any of this nonsense. And we walked out of there and we got about a half mile into the walk. And the, the, one, the woman who was psychic turned to me and says, Al, I don't know what you did, but you scared, you scared them off. They're not following us anymore. I said, I know, because they weren't supposed to do that in the, to begin with, you know. And we finally got back to the car and we're throwing all the gear in the car. And they were like, okay, we can scratch this off our bucket list. <laughs> but I feel I'm never going into the woods again. Not even for a goddamn hike. She was like, I'm done with the woods. I'm not even going to the, to the lake, you know what I mean, to go picnicking anymore. She goes, I'm done, you know. 
And I was laughing hysterical because, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I got home. I woke my wife up. I was like, you're not going to believe what happened. Monkey bark. And I went on YouTube right away and I started pulling up all videos of monkey barking, you know? It was crazy. Did they uh, end up recording at that point where you actually caught audio of the monkey barking? No, they, they had shut their audio off when we left. Um, when we left the sacred site, they had shut the, their uh, the audio, the digital voice recorders off. You know, by the time we got to the meadow, everything was packed away, all the gear and everything. See, I almost kind of got the the vibe and like I wonder if they're almost trying to like separate you. Like, who knows if they were males? If like what their intention may have actually been, I don't know if it's like a thing where like Sasquatches have you know been interested in human females. But I almost I'm, I'm kind of curious if they're kind of trying to like deter you off so that they could like kind of separate you guys because being young males, of course, they probably have you know that that coming into yourself kind of sex drive. So I wonder if they're interested in them just off of like the pure instinct that they are females. Yeah, like I said, you know, I don't claim to be psychic by any stretch of imagination, but I've got gut feelings my whole life. And the, the more you do this, the more sensitive you get to different energies. And the vibe I got when it first started was, let's scare the shit out of these women. And then halfway through, the energy changed. It just changed. And it, it became a fever pitch. And it was like, oh, shit. They're going to come charging down here any minute. You know what I mean? I got to do something. I got to stop them right now, you know? And I had no time. Like I said, my mind was going a million miles an hour. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, the girls were running. They were scared, you know, and I had to do something. And uh, I said, the only thing I could do is like, I just show them that I'm the alpha, not you. And, and just push them back. And that's what I did. I said, <laughs> Say, you got that uh, fight or flight response that kicked in. I feel like you took the absolute best course of action. And if it wasn't for you being there, you know, those girls would have had a way different experience. And uh, it's kind of weird how, you know, you change the dynamic a little bit and then you end up having these experiences like this. It's almost like sometimes you need to kind of like spice it up or do stuff a little bit different in order to get a reaction out of them. And by doing things like this, it's almost like you can kind of get more of a more of a reading on them on what you can do, what you can't do, what irritates them and then by then you can kind of get a better feel for how you can interact with them off of just you know trial and error essentially of bringing people and doing different things yeah i would i would have loved to been able to get my eyes on them to see if they were young males or young females you know what i mean because it could have worked it could have been the other way around it could have been three young females that were jealous of all the women being in the woods you know and they weren't happy about it. I don't know, because like, I couldn't. I couldn't get eyes on them. No matter. And I my, and my headlamp. I got a really powerful headlamp. You know what I mean? It shoots out far. I wanted to. I wanted to get eyes on them, but I couldn't. But I, the the energy I felt and the way they were jumping up and down and slapping the ground. I felt like they were no taller than five or six feet tall, no heavier than maybe three, four hundred pounds at the most. You know. I don't think they were juveniles. I think they were more adolescents, but um, I think they were coming of age. And like I said, most of the time when I go out, it's all guys. You know what I mean? So this was the one time it was just me and two women, you know? So I was going to say it could have been that jealousy thing too, because if you're regularly trafficking that area, you know, they may have like an interest in you. 
you know, in a different way, shape or form. So, you know, if you're normally coming with males, there's no competition, but if you're coming with males and they were interested in you in a different form, you know, if going into the female concept, it could have been trying to get rid of the females because it wanted to just have your attention specifically. Could have been, I don't know. I honestly don't because I could never get eyes on them. You know, I was was trying to get eyes on them. And like like I said, the closer I, I got to where they were, the more the women were freaking out because I was getting farther and further away from them. And they were afraid that these three things were going to grab me, <laughs> rip me, rip me to pieces and then come after them. And they wouldn't have anybody to protect them. You know, and they're like, come back out, come back. <laughs> you know, at uh, any of your sites that you've, you, you regularly traffic, have you uh, lucked out and actually been able to get like solid eyes on anything? One time, um, it wasn't me. Um, it was a friend of mine who's in an alphabet agency. Okay. He, he says, take me out. I want to see one of these damn things. You know, I goes, I'm, you know, he was actually, he told me, he was the one who told me that the forestry, the forestry department has an obscure law that if you kill one of these things, um, it's, $10,000 fine and 10 years in jail. It's non-negotiable. If you kill one on federal property, it's a federal law. It's buried in the forestry registry. So he said, take me out. I want to see one of these things. So I said, okay, let's go out. So I took him up to the sacred site and uh, we were going up there and uh, we we're sitting on the sacred site and he had night vision goggles. He was facing North. I was facing South. It was just me and him. Uh, Brian, my partner calls me and says, he's, Brian does remote viewing and Brian calls me and says, um, I don't know if this means anything, but I seen a bright blue flash. Um, so be careful tonight. I was like, okay. So we're sitting there and I do my, my little ritual to bring him in. And (coughs) the scout who sits up on top of the ridge, because I believe their home range is on the other side of the ridge. I've never gone on that side of the ridge. I've made a deal with them that I'll stay here at the sacred site and I won't go up on the ridge. I won't go on the other side of the ridge. If that's your home range, I respect your home range. That's yours. You know, just make sure I'm okay when I'm here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's always, there's always a lookout up on top of the ridge looking out. So we get there, it gets dark. We do our rituals, yada, yada, yada. Um, at one point in the night, my friend, he's got night vision goggles on, and he's uh, pulls up the goggles, and, he, and, he, and he's like, Al, don't freak out. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And I'm sitting underneath this arch, and this arch, the energy under this arch is so unbelievably calm that I could sleep under this arch on the dirt without a sleeping bag and without a tent and not worry about anything bothering me. Cause I know these guys have my back. Right. And I'm sitting underneath the arch and my friend pulls up his night vision goggles and he's like, ah, go, what's up? I go, you don't have to whisper. I can hear you, you know? And he goes, uh, about 21 feet behind you. We got a tree peeker. He's peeking out, looking at you. And I had a couple of cameras going, but one was pointed North and one was pointing no one was pointing east and one was pointed west and never anything pointed north and this was the sky was coming in from behind me to the north. 
So I said, I said, don't worry. It's just the scout. He's coming down to see what we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. that's his job. So then five, 10 minutes go by, he pulls up the night vision goggles again. It's like, Al, this thing is like 15 feet behind you, laying down, crawling, belly crawling up to you behind a bush. And he's starting to freak out, my friend. And I'm like, dude, relax. We're at the sacred site. Nothing is going to happen to us here. Just enjoy your what you're getting to see because not too many people get to see this, you know? So he, he's like freaking out. He's like, dude, are you cr- out of your mind? This thing is going to come up and grab you, snatch you, and run off with you. And I'm laughing. I'm like, dude, nothing is going to happen to us here tonight. Don't worry about it. So then a few minutes go by. He pulls up the night vision goggles again, and he's literally freaking out. Al, this thing is like seven feet behind you. If it wants to reach out, it can grab you. And I'm like, okay. So I get up like all nonchalantly and I'm trying to turn my cameras behind me so I can get it either on the IR camera or the thermal camera, you know, film it. But the minute I turned, I touched that camera, he was watching it the whole time through the night vision goggles. He said, the minute I touched that camera, that thing took two giant steps and it was gone. He said, like, it jumped 40 feet each time. He <laughs> said it was gone. It was just gone. Two giant steps. So by the time I turned those cameras around, I wasn't getting anything. So we sat there for a little while and um, nothing else happened the rest of the night. So I said, all right, come on, let's go. We'll go to the meadow. And then from the meadow, we'll go to the campsite. And he says, okay. So we go to the meadow. Again, nothing happened at the meadow. We go to the campsite. And he says, hey, how far are we away from that uh, place where the coyotes ran into you and you got your shoulder dislocated? He said, it's right, it's right down this path right over here, you know? And he's like, let's go check it out. So I says, okay, let's go check it out. So we're going down the path. And I'm being pulled off the path to my right. And this is an area of the woods that I'm not familiar with. I have never done any investigations here. Um, I don't know what's drawing me this way. But I'm, I said to him, I said, follow me. We, and we go off trail and we start seeing all kinds of sign, arches and exits and bends and breaks. And we're taking pictures. And I'm telling him, take pictures of all of this stuff because you're probably never going to see it again, you know. And he took a lot of pictures up at the sacred side as well. And um, then I got a vibe. It's like, out of nowhere, I got a vibe that said, stop. Like a little voice in the back of my head said, you should stop right here. You're getting too close to something that you're not supposed to get to, you know? Mm -hmm. So I said to my friend, I said, look, we're going to stop here. We're going to turn around and we're going to go back. And, you know, if you still want to see where I got ran over by the coyote, I'll take you. I don't think we should go any further. And my friend is like, are you crazy? Look at all this evidence. The further, deeper we get in, the more evidence we find. I'm like, dude, we, you have to stop. We have to go back. You know? And he goes, why? I said, getting a gut feeling. We're getting too close to someplace we shouldn't be. I think we need to turn around. He said, oh, I don't want to turn around. I got all that. I said, dude, I'm leaving. If you want to go in deeper, that's on you. But if you don't come back out in a half hour, I'm leaving without you. Because if you go in there, I don't think you're going to come back out. Do you think you're so getting like, oh, close to one of their like home sites or something? I think we were getting close to another another clan 
that had been either laying down in that area or, you know, getting ready to go out hunting in that area because uh, it was close to the swamp where we had that encounter with the other ones that killed all the coyotes. And I was just getting the vibe like, dude, you better turn around now or you're, you're going to be, you're going to be dick killed. You know, I was getting a really bad vibe and I could try to convince my friend and he wouldn't listen to me. So eventually I left him in the middle of the woods and I went back to the trail. I said, I'm going to wait for you at the trail. You got 10 minutes for you not back. I'm leaving without you. 10 minutes later, he said, Right after you left, he said, I heard a couple of deep grunts and a growl. I said, I told you we were getting too close to something we weren't supposed to get next to. And he says, and he says, once I heard them, I left. So now we're standing on the trail. He's in front of me. I'm behind him. And he's pointing to the area where he heard this, where the grunts came out of, you know, the growls. Mm-hmm. And as he's pointing to the area, both of us see this blue flash just like a blue lights flashed. And then the next thing I know, his knees buckle and he lands right in my arms. I catch him as he goes down and he looks at me <clears throat> like he doesn't know where the hell he is. And he looks at me and he goes, what just happened? I said, you know, that blue flash Brian was talking about. You just got hit with it for sound. Now, I don't know if it was meant for him or for me because I was standing directly behind him. But if I wasn't behind him to catch him, he would have went down and hit his head on a boulder. You know, I, I would have had to drag him out of there. You know what I mean? To get him to an ambulance. And we were a solid two miles in the woods, you know? Do you think he's a bi- being behind he's him a is also what kind of saved you from it? Because if it's like, like a blast, do you think he like took in the blast and that's what like stopped it from hitting you? I think I think it was meant for him because he he pissed them off because they growled at him, you know, and he still wasn't ready to leave. He was still standing on the trail, pointing to the location, and I think that's just set, puts put them over the edge and said, "Okay, this this we got to fix this guy. This guy's thick. He doesn't want to go." So they hit him with some infrasound, <clears throat> and I told him, I explained to him, I said, "Look." Infrasound is very dangerous. I said, it can damage your vital organs. It could kill you. I said, if any point in time from tonight you start pissing blood, please do me a favor and go to the emergency room and get checked out. Because, you know, he's an older guy. He's in great shape and he's a big dude. But he's an older guy and I don't want you to, you know, have your vital organs melt on you while you're sleeping. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, uh, took him out of there and, Oh, it was funny. At one point, at one point we did, I played a a native American ceremony, like a, a a flute ceremony to bring them in. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was playing that and I had a digital voice recorder going and I had my, uh, night vision camera going okay at the same time and we played that and i was going around every every half hour would go around and take pictures in the 360 i wasn't getting anything on any of my pictures right it was just just night sky and trees and everything and then at one point during the native after the during we shut the cat we shut the native american music off and i did it and in the photograph were hundreds of orbs with faces in them, 
like a whole tribe of Indians had come to see what we were doing. Oh. Right. At least that's what I thought they were native Americans. That could have been Sasquatches in energy form. I don't know. I mean, essentially but, they could even be the same thing. Cause I mean, there's even theories about Sasquatch being like ancestry ancestors of native Americans. Right. When we had our, our evidence review, like the, a couple of weeks later from that investigation, we're sitting in this library with the 60 inch TV and we're, and we're showing everybody the photographs and the craziest thing happened. The digital voice recorder caught the, the ceremony I was playing on my phone. Right. But after the ceremony ended, the night vision camera caught another ceremony that no, that we didn't hear. And it sound like only this one sound like a drum ceremony. I was playing a flute ceremony. So my friend happened to be sitting at the evidence review that night. And when we heard that, he heard that he almost fell off his chair. He goes, what the hell is that? I said, that's a native American ceremony. He goes, yeah, but we didn't play anything with drums. I said, I know we had the flute. So we, we surmised that because the digital voice recorder was set to a different frequency than the night vision camera, mm -hmm. the digital voice recorder didn't capture the drum ceremony, but the night vision camera did because it was coming in at a different frequency. See, then that almost makes you wonder if it's like a thinning of the veil area, you know, that there was a Native American ceremony going on, going into kind of like a paranormal concept that, you know, maybe it's one of those things that's like a residual thing that happened at one point, but it was such a like big event that it like echoes through time. And maybe you're kind of picking up on that from a different frequency. It was the craziest thing to hear, you know, to, I never use drum music. So for some reason, drum music makes me like nervous. It makes me crazy. I always lose flute. Flute calms me down. I like the flute sound, the wood, the, the wood sound of the flute. Okay. I mean, even just going into just like the whole idea with drums more often than not, they were kind of used to scare enemies and were used for like war versus the flute, of course, being like a more, uh, calming instrument, kind of like how yes. you're describing. So just using yeah. that and taking that in consideration, if you use drum beats, it may give Sasquatch the wrong impression of what you're trying to do with them. Yeah, but it was crazy to, to, to hear that whole Native American ceremony going on, but we didn't hear it with our own ear. But then I got all those orbs with all those faces in it. Everybody, everybody on the team who was sitting in at night just freaked out. We couldn't believe it, you know. And um, you know, and it, and like I said, we 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 did walk out of there after my friend recovered like ten minutes. It took him to bounce back. After he bounced back, we left. I said, "Okay, you know what? Now we're just going to leave because you wasn't listening to me, and now you pissed me off. So now we're just going to leave." And um, but to hear that drum ceremony be picked up on the camera but not on a digital voice recorder blew my mind. It blew my mind. I'll have to, uh, see if you still have the link to that, I'll have to put the link in the description. So if the listeners want to check it out, they can check it out. But yeah, Oh God, I, I know it's, it's, it's on, it's on one of our pages somewhere. I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you where my partner put Brian's our tech guy. I don't know where he put it, 
but it's got to be up on the either on the website or the 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 uh, the, Sas- the Sasquatch page. One of the pages it's got to be up on because I know my partner Brian puts everything up on every single social media site there is. You know, I can't even keep track of all the sites he's got us on. <laughs> so, no, I swear to God, yeah. I'll have to do some uh, some digging and see if I can find that link to add it in for that. The that was absolutely insane. I mean, we're sitting there. He falls off the chair. He goes. We didn't play any drums. I go, no, we didn't play any drums. I don't use drums, you know. Drums make me nervous. I use flutes, you know. And uh, he goes, how is that possible? And Brian said, different equipment is set to different frequencies. He goes, so that's why when we go out with our digital voice recorders, we take two made by two different manufacturers because we know that different manufacturers set them to different frequencies. And what you catch on one, you may not catch on the other, vice versa. Man, I'll have to uh, have you back on very soon to kind of get into some of that paranormal stuff, kind of building into <laughs> that, because I feel like we kind of, like you were saying, everything kind of connects. We start off in Sasquatch, and then at the end, it started kind of bringing into the paranormal tie to it. So we'll have to dig into it as a part two. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to think if, if there was any more. Oh, yeah, then right after that, I took another group of people out um, another group of investigators. We went to the sacred site. Nothing happened in that night. Um, the east side of the woods is the dog man side of the woods. I don't usually go there. You know what I mean? I kind of stay away from the dog man. I stick with the Sasquatches. But that particular night, we were sitting, we, we were up at the sacred site for hours and hours. And I think there was somebody who was with us who had really bad energy, you know, but I didn't make the guy leave because he drove like four hours to come out with us, you know, (laughs) and I felt really bad to make him drive four hours and not take him out. But I knew he had bad energy. And I think because he had bad energy, we weren't getting much, much accident that night. So then we went from the sacred site to the, uh, the meadow. We're sitting in the meadow and all of a sudden, one of the big guys is going off on the other side of the lake, screaming. And I got my digital voice recorder going, and he's screaming. I mean, the whole woods are vibrating. You can feel it in your chest. And you're like, how far away from us is he? And I go, he's pretty far away. And they go, well, how come we're feeling it so powerful? I said, because you could imagine how powerful it is where he's standing, you know, (laughs) and so he's going off and we're getting whoops and whistles, but the screams were just off the charts that night. So I said, let me do a scream back. And I did this scream that sounded exactly like the big guy on the other side of the woods. I don't even know where it came from. You know what I mean? When I finished screaming, the guys were like standing there with their jaw dropped, like, holy shit, how did you do that? You know, and I was like, I don't know, it just came out. So I did this giant scream, and then we're sitting there and it got real quiet after the scream. And all of a sudden, we hear the pitter patter of little feet running up the mining road because the mining road is at this point is paved with concrete. And you hear running up the mining road, but running really, really fast. 
So everybody looks at each other like, what the hell is that? And I go, holy crap, that's a, that's a juvenile. He thinks I'm big daddy. He's coming here. He, he thinks we're, I'm big daddy. As he's going to run right into our camp. I said, holy shit, this juvenile is going to jump right into my arms, right? <laughs> and, and, and you hear, I mean, the patter, pitter patter of Luffy, but they were moving like 100 miles an hour. But we were standing right on a turn, and right in front of us was a giant, like, mulberry bush or something, right? And just as it's coming around the bush, I'm like this, come on to daddy, right? <laughs> this dude hits it with that, uh, like, a million, that million watt candle, pal, candle watt flashlight. He hits the area, and he lights it up, and it stops, and I don't know if it backed off or if it jumped into the woods and hid. And I turned to him and I was like, dude, what the fuck did you do? It was coming right into our camp. He's like, I wanted to get eyes on it when it turned the corner. I said, you would have got eyes on it when it was in my fucking arms. What are you doing? You know, I was like, I said, are you crazy? That was a juvenile. And everybody's freaking out because you heard the pitter-patter of little feet. And everybody's yelling at this guy, what made you turn that goddamn light on, you know? I mean, hindsight being 2020, it's probably better. He did because maybe Big Daddy would have not been too happy if I'm standing there with his, with his son. Maybe he would have killed all of us. I don't know. But in that moment, I was experiencing something I never experienced before. And I thought for sure that this little juvenile was going to run right into our camp and jump right into my arms. I swear to God, that was the vibe I got. When that dude hit that spotlight, I could have fucking ripped his heart out of his chest. (laughs) I was so mad. I was like, that's it. We're leaving. You're never coming out with me again, you know? And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, my ass. We're never going to get that happen again. Never. You know, that's, that's a once in a lifetime thing. And you blew it, you know? How, uh, how big would you have guessed that this thing was, at least from like the footsteps you're hearing in the movement? I would say it was no taller than two feet, three feet tall. Oh, it was like a baby baby then. Yeah, it was small. Yeah. See, that's always been the thing that I've been kind of curious about is uh, when do these things actually start like getting up and like walking and like how big are they when they're first born? Like, I wonder how old this thing was. if It was only about two feet tall. I would assume it's almost essentially like a toddler, right? I would say it was probably like three years old, something like that. You know what I mean? To be that about that big, you know, I'm, I'm sure they come out small, like, you know, gorillas and humans and then they get bigger. It's, you know, and then it's just their growth. They get giant growth spurts, but. I mean, I would say this thing was like two, three feet tall at the most. That's why I kept saying he was going to jump into my arms, you know, because I let that giant scream out. I swear to God, I couldn't do that again if my life depended on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it sounds just like the one that just went off on the other side of the lake. Do you think that was was going off trying to call its baby in the first place? I don't know. I don't know if it was trying to tell the baby to, to, to stay hidden because there are, you know, humans in the woods. You know what I mean? I don't know. But when I screamed, it came running. So whatever I said was like, you know, daddy's home. Come, come to come to come to daddy or come to mama or whatever, because it was running up that it was running up that up that mining road, man. Just the pitter patter of little feet. It was 
mind-boggling. Just mind-boggling. I almost wonder if, uh, since you said there were dogmen in the area, if the father was with the baby, had some kind of altercation or thing, something with dogmen, and was trying to assert its dominance, and the baby took off running away from the situation, and maybe thought that you were like the mother or something, was trying to go into different arms while the dad was trying to like assert its dominance in a different area. Because it running off that fast in the opposite direction of the dad, let alone from you doing the call, like it almost gives me the impression that like the dad was dealing with a situation at the time. The, the father could have been dealing with a situation. There's no doubt about it because it was it was on the other side of the lake, which was definitely the dogman side of the lake. And this thing, I don't believe that it would have left this thing over here by itself if it was that young. You know what I mean? I, I would imagine mama must have been close. But I don't think if mama was that close, mama would have let it run off like that. You know, and, but then again, toddlers do just take off running. You know, how many times you're outside <laughs> with the kids when they're small, right? And one minute they're standing by the front door and the next minute they're running through the yard towards the street. So, I mean, shit does happen, you know? I mean, it could have been a coast is clear call too, where maybe he was trying to get away from you guys. And he was saying like, all right, come in this direction. It's clear and safe over here. And then the baby heard you and got confused because he was hearing two different calls from two different directions and went to whatever one seemed like it was closer to. Closest, yeah. No, I mean, he was so far away from us. The big guy going off. He was, he was like four miles away from us. There's no way we were going to go over there and try to track him. You know what I mean? And the way he was going off, he, he didn't seem like he was having a good night. You know what I mean? It was it was a scary kind of going off, you know, when it was screaming the way it was for something to just go off like that. There, You don't understand. You listen to these things on YouTube and you hear these screams. It doesn't do it any justice, man. It doesn't do when you're up close and personal, even like we were. We were on the other side of the lake, even if it was. Literally on the other side of the lake, it was a, a, at least a mile away and then up on top of the mountain. And we were down in the valley and that was coming across so powerful that it was like sh vibrating every every fiber of our being, you know. So could you imagine standing in front of it when it's going off like that? Dude, I feel like it would literally just shake. Who knows? You talk about the inf the the sound of it projecting and theoretically like hurting people with it, with its sound. So just imagine being that close to it and what other scenario could have possibly happened with that sound hitting somebody's body that close. Yeah. It could probably just blow up your, your lungs, your kidneys, your, your liver, who knows what it could have done, you know? Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sound, sound waves, sound waves could be, could be very dangerous, you know? So, um, I mean, but yeah, that was, I think that was the last one as, as far as expeditions. I've gone out a couple of times with a few other guys, a guy from Connecticut and a, a, uh, another guy from uh, uh, a, a different part of New York, lower, lower, lower down to closer to the city. And we've gone out and we found, you know, bends and breaks and arches and everything, but we didn't have any, uh, we didn't. We found a couple of footprints too, but we didn't have any um, experiences where we heard whoops or knocks or, or uh, you know, screams or anything like that. We just found evidence that they were in the area. So, but those, I think that was the last one where we actually had something, you know, um, like I said, I, it was, and it, 
when I had that experience with the with the other the men in black that kept me out of the woods for two years too, you know. So, are you still uh, like actively going to these areas at least, like doing squatching? Or are you still like staying out of the woods in that area? No, I'm back in the woods. I'm back in the woods now. Yeah, I got back in the woods. I think last last summer I got back in the woods. Well, I'm excited to hear about uh, if anything new happens, and I would love to have you back on, of course, anyways, to talk about a variety of different topics, but specifically, if you have any more encounters in these areas, I would love to hear about them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we got something planned for this, this spring, something we, yeah, something we've never done before. And, um, I got a friend of mine who's got a very high clearance in Navy intelligence. And he said to me, he said, I've got a military, a military drone. I wanted, I want to come out with you in the spring before we have any tree, before the trees have any leaves on them. He said, and I want to fly the drone up at night at, at two different locations. One's my location, one is a friend of mine in Connecticut's, and I want to see because the optics he has on these drones are off the charts, you know. Assumably, and those pick up like infrared and everything too, right? So if you like, scan them over the top, you'd see any animal moving down there. Everything. These. I've been with this guy when I when I did uh, the what was it called the um, UFO invasion of the Hudson Valley, alien invasion of the Hudson Valley. This guy was the scientist on the project. And he brought his drone with him, so I know what this drone is capable of, you know. And um, it's the optics, the cameras are off the charts. It doesn't make any noise, you know what I mean? And we're going to fly it not only over the sacred site and over the meadow and over the campsite, but we're going to fly it over the dogman den on the other side of the lake. We found the dogman den. We're going to fly it over the dogman den. And then I'm going to have him fly it over the other side of the ridge where the home range is. That's and see if we <laughs> And see if we pick up a family unit or a whole tribe of them or whatever we say, you know. Um, now, I don't usually go to this location in the spring. I usually go there or not in the fall and that's where i have all my experience so i don't know if they're even going to be there in the spring but we got to do this when there's no leaves on the trees you know what i mean mm. so it's either going to be early spring or late winter you know what i mean and i don't you know i don't want to be it gets cold enough in the fall that i don't want to be out there last time i was out there it was like uh 20 degrees and stuff so i don't really want to be out there when it's below 20 degrees you know so um he asked me if I would do it, and I said I would take you. And then uh, a friend of mine, he jumped on board. He's a producer at KGRA, uh, program director. I don't know if you know what KGRA is. It's a internet paranormal radio station. It's like one of the biggest ones in the world. Yeah. And and he he's coming. And a friend of mine who's a Bigfoot researcher in Connecticut, he's coming. And then after we do my site, we're going to do my friend's site in Connecticut as well. 
Well, I can't yeah, wait we'll to see go. that footage and see what you guys come up yeah, with. So cross my fingers to hopefully get at least a little bit of something out of it. I mean, th- this this drone is first of all, it's massive. You know what I mean? And second of all, it's military grade equipment. You know what I mean? This dude, this guy builds fucking satellites for the US, you, you know, for the era for NASA. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's got he's got the best technology in the world at his disposal. So I can't wait to put this thing up in the air and see what we say, you know. I'm almost curious if uh, you do happen to catch anything, if there is government technology connected to this and, you know, they might, you know, kind of start questioning you guys if you do actually happen to ping something. <laughs> well, we're all, we're all going to get, he's, he promised that every single person on the expedition is going to get that video as well, not just him. You know what I mean? So spread it out as much as possible and they can't take it I'm, away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, uh, I, you know, I believe him. I know this guy personally. He's a good friend of mine. And, um, you know, he's a go-to guy when I need information about UFOs or um, any kind of stuff going on up in space with satellites or anything. You know, I know he's the guy to go to. He's one of my go-to guys and uh, he never stares me wrong. And, uh, this is going to be pretty exciting, man. Pretty exciting. I'll uh, definitely have to have you back on right after that, so we can definitely talk about all that kind of stuff too. Cause... Oh my god, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I mean, I hope. I, I don't like. I said, I don't know if they're going to be in the area, but just to get images of their home range and the dogman den. You know what I mean? We got run out of the dogman den, and we've never been back to to see if that den is still there. And still being used. If it is being used, his infrared, his thermal will pick up any any heat heat inside that den. You know what I mean? So I'm psyched. I'm psyched. <laughs> Can't wait, man. So uh, I guess starting to wrap up towards the end. Yep, uh, absolutely. We are running about two and a half hours, which you know we could have easily kept going for another hour and a half, but I figure that's probably a good point to start cutting it off because then you know we get more stuff to talk about next time. Uh, absolutely for anybody that's uh, enjoyed the conversation why don't you uh, let them know where they can come and find you and come and check out your work yeah you could you could reach me at the bronxville paranormal society facebook page or facebook group uh the new york state sasquatch organization on facebook the new york state dogman project and the new york state ufo project all on facebook um we're on every social media outlet but I just stick to Facebook. I can't be covering all these different things that my partner's got us on. <laughs> I just can't keep up with all of that shit. Man, and I don't blame you. It starts to be too much with social media sometimes, but it's- yeah, it's too much social media. Absolutely. But I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, man, and sitting down and having this two and a half hour awesome conversation with me. And I'm really looking forward to having you on again. Thank you. And I, I'm, it's my pleasure to come on. Just reach out to me whenever you're ready and we'll do it. We'll do it again. Really hope you guys enjoyed that interview today as much as I did. It was phenomenal, and I can't wait, can't wait to have him back on the show. Uh, If anybody is interested in sponsoring the show, if anybody wants to contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, uh, if there's any guests that you guys want to see on the show, or if you guys want to be a guest on the show, if you're an experiencer of any type of weird phenomenon, uh, researcher, author, uh, lecturer, any of that kind of stuff, uh, hit me up. Let's do a show. I I would love to talk to you. 
Uh, you can email me through inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Uh, you can also shoot me a message on social media. Instagram is the one that I am definitely the most active on. Uh, you can also uh, go to the link tree and go up to the top. There's a, there's a submission form thing uh, that will go directly to my email. So that's also another option that you can do. So that link tree link is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiries of our reality podcast. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.